Crush it. Why now is the time to cash in on your passion? By Gary Vaynerchuk. Read by the author. Before we go into chapter one, I just wanted to uh, thank everybody who's listening to this right now. It's amazingly humbling to think that people care enough about you to support your thoughts. And, you know, I'm very driven by gratitude. I've come to realize even since I wrote this book that that is my driving force. And I just want to thank you so much. I'm just super thankful and super grateful. And I wish you guys nothing but the best. And thank you so much. And um, bear with me as I go through this journey first time, but I'm excited about it. So let's get going. Chapter one, passion is everything. How badly do you want to crush it? Is it an all-consuming feeling? Do you stay awake at night, your brain swimming with ideas and dreams? Are you willing to do whatever it takes for the chance to live entirely on your own terms? If so, you are lucky. You're lucky because you live in an age of unmatched opportunity for anyone with enough hustle, patience, and big dreams. I should know, since that's what I had to work with. Three years ago, I was an anomaly. A guy with very limited technology skills. Very limited. Who used social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr to build a highly fulfilling and profitable personal brand. Back then, a lot of people were unwilling to accept that the business world and society was changing. And if I had tried to tell you that you could build a business that creates wealth, and the most happiness you've ever known with nothing more than passion and a willingness to work your face off, you might have not believed me. Now, though, the opportunities are endless. I don't think enough people have yet grasped just how much society and business and even the Internet has changed. And my story is about to become a lot less unusual. If you want it badly enough, it can become your story in a lot less time and for a lot less money. Here's how fast change has taken hold. I helped take my dad's liquor store, Shoppers Discount Liquors, and blew it up from a $4 million to a $50 million a year business in eight years, from 98 to 2005. I'm proud of that. But aside from a ton of hard work, it took millions of dollars in advertising with the New York Times, Wine Spectator, and other publications, as well as radio stations and local TV. Compare that with when I started building my personal brand back in 2006. To this day, it's cost me a far less amount of money. Let's say less than 15 grand. But it's cost me a lot of sweat. And I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my entire life. You've got sweat, right? You may not have the connections or the wealth or even the education. But with enough passion and enough sweat, you can make a lot happen. Three rules. You may have picked up this book because you want to know the secret to my success. Well, the secret is that I live by three pretty darn simple rules. Number one, and by far number one. By the way, this should probably be number one, two, three, and four. But number one, love your family. Number two, work super hard. And number three, live your passion. That's it. Notice that I didn't mention the internet, social media, or even technology, even though they have been crucial to everything I've accomplished in the last few years. That's because I measure my success by how happy I am, not by how big my business is or how much money I've made. 
And thanks to following these three rules, I am 100% happy. Don't believe me? Think it's not possible? I promise you it is. If you don't already live the first principle, get on it now. Because what I'm going to tell you in this book is worthless if you're not taking care of your family. Your family always comes first. But if you've got that priority straight and you're working super hard and you're still not 100% happy, it's probably because you're not living your passion. And that, my friends, although is only one-third of the secret to success, is the whole key to staking your claim in the new business world we all live by today. Live your passion. What does that mean, anyway? It means that when you get up for work every morning, every single morning, you are pumped because you get to talk about or work with or do the thing that interests you most in the world. You don't live for vacations because you don't need a break from what you're doing. Working, playing, and relaxing are one and the same. You don't even pay attention to how many hours you're working because to you, it's not really work. You're making money, but you do whatever it is you're doing for free. Does this sound like you? Are you living or just earning a living? You spend so much time at work. Why waste it doing anything other than what you love most? Life is too short for that. You owe it to yourself to make a massive change for the better. And all you have to do is go online and start using the tools waiting for you there. Now I'm going to veer off from the book here for a second because I want to talk about this for one half second. That sounds all la la la, life is zen, everything will work out. And I'm not naive. I really respect and understand that not everybody's going to go out and crush it. But the fact that you have an at bat, the fact that you have an opportunity to go out and do this and do it around what you love is super important. And I hope that the bigger issue here is not overlooked because that sounds so fantasy-like because it's shifting and the opportunity is real. What you need to know in this book, I'll explain step by step. How to use all the social networking tools on the internet to take whatever it is that rocks your world. The activity that you would do every minute if you could. The topic that you just can't shut up about. The product that you would like to put in everyone's hand. And build it into not just a business, but a powerful personal brand that makes you all the money and more important, brings you all the happiness you could ever want. For those of you already living your passion, but hungry to boost your business even further, you'll find some fresh ideas on how to do that, as will anyone interested in developing a strong brand identity for an already existing product or service. Among the topics we'll cover, how to correctly channel your passion into a blog followed by thousands of people interested in consuming your personal brand, what real hustle looks like, how to get the attention of advertisers itching to give you a portion of their billion dollars in ad revenue. Why building a personal brand through social media is crucial to professional survival and advancement no matter what field you're in. Yes, I'm talking to you lawyers. Why you should make plans to grow your business around your personal brand and leave your current job even if you're happily employed. How social networking gives you the data you need to find the next social trend and financial opportunity. Why savvy social networkers are great cocktail party guests and how you can become one too. How to monetize your interaction with every person you talk to online. The best marketing strategy ever. Where to fish for diverse sources of revenue. 
How companies should use social networks to shape their story and strengthen their brand. How to build legacy, which is always greater than currency and the mortar to a successful, lasting brand and business. Social media give entrepreneurs and businesses an unprecedented chance to engage with their customers and communicate their message. Those who can harness their passion to the unbelievable reach and power of these tools are in a position to crush it on a level the world has never seen. The game has changed, my friends. Everyone knows the internet represents one of the biggest cultural shifts since the printing press. But I think society has been slow to recognize that it represents the biggest shift in history in how we do business. Like, ever. It's matured from a haven for coding geeks to a second home for most Americans, who still spend countless hours shopping online, but who are also increasingly moving their social lives there thanks to networking sites like Facebook, YouTube, Flickr, Tumblr, and Twitter. It makes total sense that if this is where the eyeballs are going, this is where business has to go. Money goes where the people go. Where there is an audience, advertisers are eager to follow. They used to spend their money on traditional media, radio, television, newspapers, and magazines. Those platforms are losing eyeballs to the online world by the second, and many media companies never implemented the leaner, meaner business model they needed to stay alive. They're getting very close to being dead. If the survivors in the traditional media don't adjust to the new competitor, 30 years from now, our kids will examine them in museums with the same curiosity they now reserve for dinosaur bones and fossils. I'm going to make a lot of massive, bold statements in this book, but let me assure you that I'm not trying to be a shock jock. I wouldn't say anything unless I thought long and hard about it. After all, as I go off the script here, You know, this is my legacy, right? I'm not just throwing things at the dartboard and hoping one will stick because in this new day and age, everything you say is documented. And so for all my misses, you know, you know, this is not baseball. Three out of 10 hits here doesn't cut it. This is the business world. So I'm talking about things I'm living and breathing, not just things I'm hoping will happen. So it's important that you guys understand that. Advertisers and companies need to spend money to stay alive. So why shouldn't they spend it on you? By building a personal brand using social media networks, you're practically doing them a favor. Since the only investment it takes to use these sites to grow a business is ridiculous amounts of time and hustle, these platforms are open to whoever has got the chops to get in the game. That's you, right? No excuses. But Gary, some of you might be saying, my passion isn't something cool and retail-friendly like wine. I'm into World of Warcraft. I'm obsessed with belly dancing. I regularly piss off my wife because I'd rather hole up in the basement with my friends playing cards than do anything else. I want to build a business, but there's no money to be made in that. Plus, I've got rent and mortgage, kids and elderly parents, student loans and car payments. Yeah, well, so did Perez Hilton and Zay Frank and Veronica Belmont and Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. They totally crushed it. And you can too. Do it now. And again, I'm going to jump off script right now because that's what an audiobook is about, right? You know, the fact of the matter is you can say that you've got all these hurdles, but so does everybody. Nobody's got it easy coast to coast. Even the people that are rolling like P. Diddy and the trust fund babies, you know, they've got the money and the opportunity, but you know, they've got the psychological hurdles that mommy and daddy gave it to them. Trust me. 
there is nobody who's got clear sailing. The, the important thing to understand is how these platforms are now free and you could do that at any time. You could do it at three o'clock in the morning if you want it bad enough. So please, 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 please stop putting barriers around yourself because it's bull crap and nobody wants to hear it. If you want it bad enough, let's get into it. But Gary, someone else might say, have you kept up with the news over the past few years? The economy has taken a beating. A lot of people have lost jobs. Consumers are not spending like they once did. And advertisers are far more conservative than they used to be. I'm listening to this audiobook to plan ahead for the day when I know for sure it's a good time to start a business. I want everybody to pay attention right now. Yes, I'm off the script, but this is a big statement in the book, and I want you to get it. You know, you may even want to pull over your car right now because this is a big one. It is never a bad time to start a business unless you're starting a mediocre business. And say it one more time. It's never a bad time. Guys, Microsoft was built during the Carter, you know, transition years to Reagan. It is never a bad time to start a business unless you're starting a mediocre business. I think economic downturns represent a huge opportunity for everyone to get their focus on and to start to crush it. The person who can dominate during rough times is the person who can dominate, period. Yes, we've seen a lot of people close up shop in the past years, but if they had offered a relevant and differentiated product or service, had they been adaptable, and most of all, had they know how to tell their story, and even more importantly than that, and I'm going off the script again, but that's how I roll, if they cared for their consumer and gave the proper customer service, they would have not had to close. I know that's an unpopular thing to say, but I think once you listen further and understand how our culture has changed and what the next generation, whether entrepreneurs or not, needs to do to make its mark, you'll agree with me. Booming economies like the one that recently ended keep all kinds of businesses afloat that should have sunk a long time ago. Once the winds shift, there's only room left for the best. What kind of business did you plan on starting? A mediocre one or one that kicks ass? You know the right answer. Follow the suggestions laid out on this book and your business will be standing profitable for as long as you want it to be. But I'm going to veer off for just a second because when I say follow the suggestions laid out in this book, yeah, I do think it's a blueprint, but following your DNA and doing what you love and doing what you do best is going to trump anything I say in this book. So please listen to that. Plus, You've achieved more professional happiness than you've ever imagined. Maybe you're out of work and you're thinking you might dabble with some of the ideas in this book every day after you send out your resume and make a few calls. By the way, the traditional resume is about to become obsolete, but more about that later. Tell me this though, did you jump up every morning eager to go to that job you lost? If not, why are you looking for another one just like it? You have an unbelievable opportunity, people. Use all this extra time you have to reinvent yourself or follow a totally different path from the one you were on before. Maybe one where the only thing at the end isn't a custom engraved watch that reads, thanks for the service, and a surf and turf farewell dinner to send you off into retirement. You can do better so long as you're willing to live and breathe your passion. Do that and you'll no longer differentiate between your work life and your personal life. You'll just live and love doing it. And for those of you still employed, even happily employed, this book is for you too. Mark my words, 
If you want to stay relevant and competitive in the coming years, I don't care if you're in sales, tech, finance, publishing, journalism, event planning, biz dev, retail, service, you name it. You will still need to develop and grow your personal brand. Everyone, everyone needs to start thinking of themselves as a brand. It's no longer an option. It's necessity. My DNA made me want to start businesses and go big and bold and conquer the world and crush the competition and buy the New York Jets. And there are a lot of you listening to this book who see what I've done and think, yeah, that's awesome. I've got a lot to share with you. But if that's not you, I think I can still help you out. Maybe your DNA is totally different from mine. You just want to live cozy. Provide for your loved ones. Prepare for the future and not worry too much. You're set. The average U.S. salary is around 40 to 50K. You can earn that doing a job you love or a job you hate. Please choose love. Of course money and security matters. And I'm very aware that many people live paycheck to paycheck. Let me reiterate that the process I'm going to be talking about takes a lot of time, effort, focus, but not a lot of dollars, if any. That, my friends, is game changer. Everyone has a shot not just the ones with extra cash. Learn to live your passion and you'll have the money you need plus total control over your destiny. That's a pretty comfortable place to be, wouldn't you say? This means you. What if you just don't have a hard business instinct? Don't worry, skills are cheap, passion is priceless. If you're passionate about your content and you know it and you do it better than anyone else, Even with few formal business skills, you'll have the potential to create a multi-million dollar business. Here's why. Let's say you love fish and you happen to know a load about worms. In fact, you're embarrassed at how much you like worms and like to talk about worms. But there's no way you can make money on worms, right? Wrong. You can use the internet to build a platform where you can talk about worms to your heart's content. Passion is contagious. If you channel it into creating amazing content and distribute that content using the social media tools I discussed in this book, someone like me who rocks at biz dev, business development for everybody out there, will eventually find it and become a fan. The day I hear you say that you can use a particular kind of worm to catch 80% more bass than you thought otherwise, I'm going to see a business opportunity and I'm going to contact you. Together, we create an online show or a written blog or an audio podcast around your passion to reach the fishing marketplace. By the way, a billion dollar industry. We launch the content and people are immediately drawn to you. We build a community by capitalizing on all the social media tools and techniques at our disposal. We work as many hours as possible. And the next thing we know, we have the biggest fishing lure company in the country asking to advertise on our site. From there, we start building word of mouth and opening up more revenue streams and Ka-ching, your passion for worms in tandem with my passion for biz dev will inevitably result in a business that crushes it. Thanks to the accessibility and reach of social media and the zero cost, anybody listening to this can do it. Salesman Steve, who rocked selling for Blockbuster, needs to find one man stand, the Fellini fan, and build a million dollar movie review business. Joanne Jogger, who chronicles her marathon training, needs to find Marketer Marvin and create a running blog that kills it and attracts Nike as a sponsor. 
There is room for everyone in the world of social media, which is the same thing as saying that there is room for everyone in today's business world. I have a big statement to make. Social media equals business, period. And if you want me to expand on that, feel free to email me when you get to a computer at gary at winelibrary.com. Everybody wins in these scenarios. Stan and Joanne may seem like the big winners because they're enjoying some fame. Yet, off in the back room, Steve and Marvin are living their passion. Believe me, they're rocking that party hard. In fact, for all the web fame and national TV appearances and coverage I have received, it's the behind the scenes brand building that has given me more happiness than anything else. I'm gonna veer off the script for a second. Those first 50 episodes of Wine Library TV, the platform I used to build my brand, they were exciting. I mean, that was the time. Those were the days. You know, knowing that I was building something that was gonna be big, that little secret with myself before it became everybody else's, that was the real moment. It's probably like a amazing musician when they write a great song and they cut the track and they just know it. Those months before everybody's listening to it and repeating it, those are the real cherishable moments. Maybe you're listening to this and thinking, cool, I'm a business person. I don't have to think about my passion. I just have to find someone else who's passionate and use their content to create business. Maybe if your passion, your true blue passion, isn't business development and marketing and sales, you need to figure out what that is and do that instead. Otherwise, you will fail. If you do have the passion for biz dev, however, you may not need a partner at all. I didn't. It's up to you. The messages in this book are timeless. Do what makes you happy. Keep it simple. Do the research. Work hard. Look ahead. Remember that when I started Wine Library TV in 2006, Facebook was still a college play, and I didn't want to be the creepy guy peddling wine to underage kids, so I couldn't use it to bring an audience to my online show. Twitter had just been born, and no one knew what it was. Once these social networking platforms caught on with the general population, however, I was all over them and knew how to make them work for me but they only accelerated my success. They didn't create it. Keep that in mind as you start to put your dreams and plans into action. The tools we're gonna discuss in this book will spread your ideas and give your personal brand more traction in far less time and for far less money than you might have been able to do otherwise. But they are only as powerful as the person who uses them. Their power is also only as strong as their most recent incarnation. Technology and innovation and consumer demand are working together at such a frenzied pace that by the time you listen to this, some of the capabilities and reach of these platforms will have already changed. Regardless of what changes we see in the little details, in the user interface, or individual features of these tools, they won't affect the big picture. You can pimp your ride, but that doesn't change the essence of how you travel in your car. These tools will take you to your audience where you can follow them, reach out, and make them listen. I can show you how to use social media to plant a garden or build a new house. Some of you want to be mayor of the whole damn city, and I can also help you get there. But no matter how modestly or how high you set your sights, you have to keep tending and adjusting and making improvements once I'm gone. No matter how successful you get, you can't slack off or the grass is going to grow the paint is going to peel, and the roads will start to crumble. Stop hustling, and everything you learn here will be useless. Your success 
is really entirely up to you. Turn water into wine. Here's the deal. If you want it badly enough, the money is there. The success is there. And the fulfillment is there. All you have to do is take it. So quit whining. Quit crying. Quit with the excuses. If you already have a full-time job, you can get a lot done between 7 p.m. and 2 a.m. 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. if you've got kids. So learn to love working during these pre-dawn hours. I promise it won't be hard if you're doing what you love more than anything else. I don't care if your passion is rehabilitating abandoned ferrets. If you learn to tap into everything that the digital world has to offer, you can turn water into wine. You can transform what you love into a legacy building business that makes a crap load of money and still be true to yourself. Ultimately, this book is not about making millions of dollars, although it just might help you do that. It's about ensuring your own happiness by enabling you to live every day passionately and productively. Business is not just about making money, people. And if you think it is, you're broken. Seriously, you're broken. If you're already familiar with the social marketing tools we'll discuss in this book, I hope you'll pay attention to the big picture. It's too easy to forget what really matters once you're digging deep into the trenches. Learn to navigate the digital waters of social marketing to build a business and promote a personal brand around what you love most, and you will only be limited by how far you want to sail. Social media tools, Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, all the rest, are modern-day galleons that will carry you to the new world, allowing you to share your passion, differentiate yourself from your competitors, and deliver your brand to the broadest possible audience. My secret to success is just one guy's way of doing things, of course. But do things my way, adapted to what works for your DNA, of course, and total happiness is yours. Chapter two, success is your DNA. I am a walking contradiction. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go off the uh, script here right now. Uh, I'm seriously considering writing my next book about contradiction. It's a core principle of my success, but we'll get into that the next time I'm reading here. No one believes in himself more than I do, yet I'm well aware of how unimportant I really am. I couldn't care less what people think about me, but I do respect and pay attention to what they say. When viewers posted comments on a recent episode of Dignation, one of the biggest video blogs, by the way, on the internet, saying that I was obnoxious in the forums of the show, I stayed up to 4 a.m. apologizing to every one of them. I love building businesses and launching new ventures, but the only reason I value money is that I'm going to need a lot of it when I buy the New York Jets. I think a lot of you who are listening to this know I'm not kidding. I really do want to own the Jets. This has been an obsession of mine pretty much since third grade, so I'm grinding. I'm trying to get there. And although the story of how I became what ABC News calls the social media sommelier, as Slate referred to me as the wine guru of the YouTube era, and as Nightline named me (laughs) the Wayne's World wine aficionado, is in some ways the most common immigrant makes good story ever told. It's also unheard of, not only because the technology that made it possible didn't exist until a few years ago, but because no one else has my DNA. For a business guy, I talk a lot about DNA, and this book will be no exception. That's because I firmly believe that the path to your successful business literally lies in the twists and turns of your own double helix. In fact, I should probably just credit the success of Wine Library TV 
the online wine tasting video blog that put me on the social media map to my mom and dad who gave me the DNA that enabled me to take my career to that thunderous level. Then again, lots of ambitious people have been born with great DNA and yet eventually found themselves at a professional standstill, frustrated, miserable, stuck. Why? Because they weren't doing what they loved more than anything else in the world. They weren't doing what they were born to do. You gotta be you guys. You just gotta be you. I got lucky. From a very early age, I knew I was born to be a people person and to build businesses. Those were and have always been my passions. I knew I was made to be an entrepreneur and not once did I try to be anything else as evidenced by all the D's and F's in my ridiculously awful report cards. I'd bring them home and give them to my mother. She'd flip. You know, this is insane. I'm going to veer off for a second. I mean, my mom is my life. I love her more than breathing. The person that I credit so much of everything I have to, who gave me the greatest childhood, and I still couldn't bring home B's. She would have taken C's. And it was so easy for me to go there, and I still wouldn't. I just would never compromise. And I don't know why, even for the person I love the most. And so, you know, anyway, let's get back to this. You know, even though I hated to make my mom cry, I also knew that I had to be me. And if that meant hiding the Beckett baseball price guide inside my math book during class so I could read up for my next trade show, that's what it had to be. Too many people ignore their DNA, however, to conform to what their families or society expects of them. A lot of people also decided that professional success has to look a certain way. That's how someone born to design bikes winds up becoming a lawyer or someone who loves experimenting with makeup works every day pitching someone else's overpriced brands to malls around the country, or someone who cannot go a day without jotting down some ideas for their next poem spends most of their time at the helm of an emergency IT department. To me, that's insane. I've been dying to do this audiobook. Not because I think I can help everyone who wants to become a millionaire, although I'm pretty sure I can. <laughs> but because it drives me crazy to know that there are still people out there who haven't figured out that they don't have to settle. There's no excuse to slog through his or her entire life at jobs they hate, or even jobs they simply don't love in the name of a paycheck or a sense of responsibility. The internet makes it possible for anyone to be 100% true to themselves and make cash, maybe even serious cash, by turning what they love most into their personal brand. There no longer has to be a difference between who you are and what you do. Now, as cuddly and cozy as this follow your bliss message might seem, make no mistake. If you do things the way I tell you to do them, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. But I'm of the opinion that hardship shapes us. Coming from nothing served my family well. It also gave me the hunger to want it all and the wisdom to know none of it matters. I'm convinced, in fact, that if things had been a little easier for my family in the early days, I never would have gotten to where I am now. To tell that story, we have to go back to the old country. Coming to America, kind of. Little Eddie Murphy style. My family moved here from Belarus, the former Soviet Union, in 1978. My dad, Sasha, was inspired to come to the States by a great uncle who had immigrated years before. He came back to Belarus to visit his sister, and that's how my father learned that America was a place where you could build a life for yourself according to your own rules. 
And you didn't have to wait six hours in line to buy a loaf of bread either. A natural entrepreneur, my father knew that America was where his family's future lay. As Jews, we were given special permission to seek political asylum abroad. And after months of working through red tape and cooling our heels in Austria and Italy, we finally landed in Queens, New York. Unfortunately, my great uncle died right before our journey began. Yet, his children were kind to us. Mom, dad, three-year-old me, back then named Gennadzi, that's right, that's my real name, my grandmother, and my great-grandparents, until we could move into a studio apartment arranged by a Jewish foundation. We arrived certain that the streets were paved with gold. I mean, that's what everybody said in Russia. Grandma got mugged within six weeks. The economy was tanking. The construction job my dad had arranged before arriving to the country evaporated within a few months. Again, my great uncle's family helped out by offering my dad a job as a stock boy in one of their liquor stores in Clark, New Jersey. Times were tough. I still get emotional when I think about the time my parents walked a few miles to Kmart to buy me not one but two Star Wars action figures for my sixth birthday. For families on a tight budget like us, my sister Elizabeth was born by then. That was a huge deal. I don't remember anyone complaining much about money though, or about anything else for that matter. We had our health and we had one another. What more did we really need? And as a side note off the script, we had opportunity. We were grateful for that. We had a shot and that bat. And my dad really took advantage of that. We assimilated quickly. My parents changed my name to Gary when we arrived. But inside the home, it was still Belarus. No way was my mother plopping down meatloaf for dinner like those American moms. In our house, we ate stuffed cabbage and smoked herring. We never took medicine, only tea. And if you were really sick, you rubbed vodka on your chest. I never wanted to tell anyone I'd gotten a cut or burn on my hand because they would immediately suggest that I pee on it. That's right, Grandma, I'm calling you out. Those pee things were disgusting, but I still love you. My dad was smart, and he knew how to hustle, so it didn't take long for him to work his way up and become manager, then co-owner of a small liquor store in Clark. By 1983, he had bought a small store the size of an office with a partner in Springfield, and later he built that same store up to a 4,000 square foot store. Years later, after I got involved in the business, we built the current wine library in the same property. It's now 40,000 square feet, a far cry from the original store, which was called Shoppers Discount Liquors, and looked exactly like what you would think Shoppers Discount Liquors should look like. My parents were hungry, hungry to provide for their family, and hungry to win. My dad worked his ass off, so much that I really didn't get to know him until I was 14 years old. Yet I have tremendous respect for what he did for us. Thanks to his hard work and chutzpah, we became the epitome of an American success story. In 1978, we were broke and couldn't speak English. In 1985, I was the first kid on my block to have Nintendo. You can see why my dad is my hero. My gratitude for what he did drives my own ambition to take my business to higher and higher levels. Rise of the Entrepreneur. On the surface, my dad and I are very different. Though I have a lot of his fire and hustle, I'm a lot like my mom, super emotional and a true people person. Open to everyone from day one, but very strong inside. Dad is a tougher guy to get close to. He is slower to let you in, but once he does, you're family. I respect him to no end, but I wish more people could get to know him. The other big differences between us is that he allows his emotions to lead his decisions. I'm all about passion. 
but letting your emotional trigger finger make your business calls is a big no-no in my book. Going off the script, I think my DNA is there, and I think the fact that my dad made all his calls on emotion probably pushed me to the extreme edge of not going there. Though, when it comes to football, as many of you have seen on my Facebook status and Twitter, you know, I can get very emotional and start calling the Patriot names, so I'll publicly apologize for calling any football players and coaches' names here right now. I apologize, but it's how I roll. I love the Jets. I get sports muscles, so sorry about that. Anyway, observing me from an early age, however, no one could deny that my dad's entrepreneurial DNA ran strong through me. The only thing I loved more than running a business and making money was the New York Jets. My neighbor always said that no season was safe. In the summer, I would wash her car. In the fall, I'd rake her leaves, and I'd shovel her snow through winter. There was one spring when I cut the flowers in her yard, then rang her doorbell and sold the flowers back to her. I'm still kind of proud of that initiative. The profit margin was amazing. I sat on the inventory for two seconds. It still might be the best business I ever built. By the time I was eight years old, I had seven lemonade stands and was raking in crazy amounts of cash for someone who's still scared to ride a bike. My fear was problematic considering that my franchises were located all around the neighborhood. Everyone could hear me coming from a mile away as I roared around on my big wheels to pick up my money. Hey, 80s kids, you remember the big wheels, right? Those were the greatest. I miss mine. I'm going to have to buy one at a garage sale. My real business education began when I caught baseball card fever. My mom had taken me to a flea market where I bought some packs of baseball cards as well as a copy of Beckett Baseball Card Price Guide. It revealed that there was actual value to these cards I'd bought. I can still remember that feeling as I realized that my whole world has changed. It was the same feeling I'd get later when I saw the market potential for wine, when I saw the internet for the first time, when I watched my first video blog. It was like game over. Goodbye, lemonade stands. Hello, baseball cards. We moved to Hunterdon County, New Jersey when I was in eighth grade. Baseball cards were on like Donkey Kong in my new school, and within weeks, I was raking in the dough. One day, the local mall announced they were hosting a baseball card show, and there was no way I was going to miss it. I was already a $100 player thanks to selling cards to my 8th grade classmates, so I mustered up the courage and asked my dad for the biggest number I could ever think of, $1,000. Unbelievably, though in hindsight, that's just who my dad is, he gave it to me. The money was burning a hole in my pocket, so I immediately went to Costco, it was called Price Club back then, and spent it on a ton of boxes of cards. I knew they weren't a good year, but I was impatient. This was the last time that I would ever be impatient when it came to business. Sure enough, when I opened them up and looked up the values, I found out they were only worth about 200 bucks. Oh man, was I in trouble. 80% of my value, gone, out the window. My mom drove my two partners, Jason Riker and John Churchak, and me to the mall so we could buy a table at the show. We had agreed ahead of time that we wouldn't buy a table if it cost more than 20 bucks. We asked for the promoter when we got to the mall, and this 400-pound Italian dude comes out. I'm serious, this guy came out of central casting. It was epic. His t-shirt didn't even cover his whole belly. I said, (laughs) I remember this clearly. I said, hey mister, how much for the show? He replied, 150 bucks. I handed over the money and shook the guy's hand and walked away, ignoring my friend's gaping mouths. 
My brain was telling me that this was a terrible idea, but my gut said, go for it. And I've always listened to my gut. By the time I got home and told my dad and mom what I had done, I almost was in tears. But true to form, they didn't throttle me, even though I'm sure they wanted to. Instead, my dad said he'd hope that losing the money would become worth the experience. My dad's a wise man. I went to my room determined to show him that I wasn't in it just for the experience. The fire was burning, and there was no way I was going to lose. I wanted to show it and prove it to my dad. The next day, we set up our table, and the first thing I did was market research. I walked around the show checking out what everyone else was selling. I then adjusted, repricing every card we had available for less than anyone else was selling it. We crushed it and made straight cash. From then on, I did every show I could. My mom and fellow car dealer and best friend Brandon Warnicky's mom would drive us in the snow, rain, to Bridgewater, Hillsboro, Edison, Raritan, anywhere there was a show, and every time I'd dominate. I had just learned one of my first lessons in business. Scarcity breeds desire. My strategy was simple. I'd buy sets that weren't mentioned in Beckett's and promote them to create a market. You're thinking, geez, Gary, what a scam artist you were. Not at all. I was an optimist. A pessimist would have seen these cards as unlisted and assumed they were worthless. I, on the other hand, quite innocently decided that if these cards weren't in the guide, they had to be valuable. I paid back my dad his thousand bucks in about three to four months. I continued to earn this kind of money every weekend I could. Then I turned 15 and got dragged out of the mall and into the liquor store. Learning the trade. To go from self-made baseball card king of Huntington County, rolling in dough, to grunt, bagging ice for two bucks an hour was a hard fall. It wasn't until I turned 16 that I was even allowed up on the floor and became a cashier. Not too exciting, but it beat hours of shoveling ice and dusting shelves. I couldn't drink anything we sold. My parents were pretty strict about that, which is kind of shocking. You know, European family... Owning a liquor store? You would have thought they could have slipped me a little something, but I respect it. I respect it. But I was good at regurgitating data. So when business was slow, I flipped through trade magazines to pass the time and then use what I've learned to help customers. One of those magazines was Wine Spectator. Now, the store was called Shoppers Discount Liquors for a reason. Most of our business came from selling the hard stuff. Beer, too, was a big seller. The beer cooler, in fact, pretty much took up 33% of the entire store. But I learned two things from my time behind the cash register. First, thanks to Wine Spectator, I learned that there was a whole culture cachet to drinking wine and that people collected it in the same way I collected baseball cards or Star Wars toys or comic books. That was interesting to me. I also noticed a pattern. People would come in and buy their Absolute or their Johnny Walker and I knew that I or anyone in the staff could talk until we were blue in the face about another brand and they would still walk out with their Absolute or Johnny Walker. Those brands were just too established. The wine buyer, though, would often walk in looking a little lost, spend 10 minutes tentatively peering at labels as though they were hoping for a bottle to jump out and spare them from making a decision. I knew from my expertise with baseball cards that people want to be told what's good and valuable that they enjoy feeling like they've been turned on to something not everyone can appreciate. Again, time to pull off on the side of the road and really swallow this piece of information. Storytelling is by far the most underrated skill 
when it comes to business. The wine buyers, unlike the liquor customers, were open to any suggestions I had. And I realized that they represented opportunity. Spotting that social trend was enough to turn what started out as a casual interest in wine into an obsession. I started out at Shoppers Discount Liquors, hating every second of my time there, but now I was determined to turn the place into the number one wine shop in America. Changing the wine world. No one had any illusions that I was a great scholar as I started my senior year of high school. So it made sense to me that my plan should be to eke out the grades, graduate, and start working full-time at the liquor store. Sometime in February, yes, February. Sorry, Mom. I know everybody's going to be like, February? I have to call you out a little bit here, but you know it's true. My mother asked me, what college was I planning to attend? Oh, by the way, February of senior year. Yeah, I just wanted to zing her one more time. College? You know, college was the furthest thing from my mind at that point. I really thought that I was going to be able to sneak through since my parents hadn't talked about college. I didn't send any, you know, applications. So, you know, college? What are you talking about, mom? As luck would have it, a postcard from Mount Ida College in Newton, Mass. showed up in the mail a few days after this conversation. I filled it out and Mount Ida became my home in the fall. By then, though, my life was the store and I'd come home almost every weekend to work there. In September of 95, I was hanging out in a friend's dorm room when he turned on his computer and introduced me to this thing called the internet. I let my friends bumble around in chat rooms trying to hook up with girls for a little while and then I kicked them off and spent the next nine hours hunting down baseball card trading forums and figuring out how I was going to use this thing to grow the store. There was no doubt in my mind this was going to be the future of business. It would take me another year to get the courage to approach my dad about selling wine online. What can I say? My dad's kind of a scary dude. And at first he kind of resisted, but he believed in me at that point. And as soon as he relented, I was off to the races. WineLibrary.com was launched in June of 1997. The store itself wouldn't have changed to Wine Library full-time until 1999. We were kind of limbo there for two years as I tried to convince my dad it was a good move. The store brought in about $3 million a year in 94. I came on board full-time after graduating in 98 and grew the business from about $4 million to $10 million in a year, with 0% of that being in online sales. By 2001, we were doing about $20 million. Not bad. Not bad at all. Life was good and business was booming. Most guys my age would have thought they've made it. But then, on my 30th birthday, November 14th, 2005, I was driving along the New Jersey Turnpike on my way to work thinking about my day. And I realized that as perfect as life seemed, I wasn't entirely happy. Not 100% anymore. I knew deep down in my soul that there was no way I was ever going to buy the Jets if I stayed in the retail path. See, the problem is, liquor laws suck. Some of you driving in Maryland and Boston right now, I can't ship you wine. So I basically said to myself, it was time to go big. We had a computer department at Wine Library by now, and I had seen Eric Kastner and John Casamatis spending their lunch breaks, spitting food all over themselves and laughing at these things called video blogs. The two big ones at the time were Rocket Boom and The Show with Zay Frank. I had been trying to figure out how to leverage this new medium to show people that there was more to drink out there than Yellowtail. 
I'd also noticed that sites like MySpace and Flickr and YouTube were becoming popular. Sites that had nothing to do with commerce and everything to do with being social and sharing stories and meeting people. And that was something I was good at. It was there on the New Jersey Turnpike that I had my aha moment. I wasn't going to use video blogs to sell wine. I was going to use video blogs to build a whole new world for wine and for myself. I waited to get the store through the holidays and then I launched Wine Library TV in February of 2006, three months later. Chapter three, build your personal brand. You just heard a piece of my story that most people don't know and it's probably the most important part. I'll say it again, Wine Library TV was never about selling wine on the internet. It was always about building brand equity. Some people might point out that if I weren't interested in selling wine, I wouldn't include links to buy it on Wine Library TV's site. Believe me, I'd be making more money doing an affiliate program with wine.com than I do with my links to winelibrary.com. I'm a businessman. If someone wants to buy wine from me, be my guest. However, so that no one can accuse The Thunder Show, which is a nickname for Wine Library TV, of being an extended sales pitch, I make sure that Wine Library only carries 15 or fewer cases of whatever I talk about. By the way, let me put in a little subnote here. The first 40 or 50 shows of Wine Library TV, um, I did not do that because I just wasn't thinking about it all the way that way, so let me just mention that. Anyway, if I give something a good review and it sells out, everyone has to go elsewhere to get it. If the goal of Wine Library TV were to sell wine, I'd make sure to have enough product on hand to serve my customers. Wine Library, our store, doesn't reap commercial benefits from Wine Library TV because of an uptick in sales due to my blog. It reaps brand equity benefits because people come to the store to see what it's all about, where I work, where I tape the show, that stuff. Sometimes they come to thank me for the content on my blog, which by the way, I really, really appreciate. And all you college kids, when you turn 21 and make the schlep to Wine Library, that's a big deal to me. So keep emailing me because I want to be there because some of you have missed me. So thanks so much for that. Developing your personal brand is key to monetizing your passion online. Whether you're delivering your content by video, podcast, or blog, it's the authentic you, the one thing that is guaranteed to differentiate you from everyone else including those who share your niche or business model. The thing that most people don't realize is that in today's world, your business and your personal brand need to be one and the same, whether you're selling organic fish food or financial advice or just your opinion. Monetizing a personal brand is not a new concept. A lot of the most successful entertainment figures in the world are personal brand geniuses. Oprah, Howard Stern, Emerald. They built their empires out of being who they are and never backing down from it. But the major benefits of a personal brand are not limited to the A-list celebrities. In fact, personal branding is what gives everyone an unprecedented shot at joining their ranks. For example, think about what some people consider second-tier celebrities like Ashton Kutcher or Kerry Rhodes. Kutcher was already famous for his stints on television, not to mention his marriage to Demi Moore, but there is no doubt that his brand has blown up since he started leveraging social media tools. Rhodes, the New York Jets football player, has been using Twitter with incredible success to make his brand bigger. D to C level entertainment figures like Will Wheaton, Brooke Burke, LeVar Burton, and Fred Durst 
are building great opportunities that will likely propel them from B or D or C to A level status. How do I know? Because I can see how many people are following them on their Twitter accounts. Now, usually I advise people to ignore the quantity of people following them and to focus instead on the quality of their interactions with those followers. It's a lot more indicative of how well their brand is doing. Many decision makers, however, still aren't aware of this important detail and therefore the preceding celebrities will benefit from those nice numbers we're seeing. Where do the eyeballs go? Opportunity follows. Last, but by no means least, are the people whom you might have never heard of, who are putting out great content and leveraging social media and killing it. Oh, wait a minute. Crushing it. Like Dave Morin, Chris Saka, and Justine Ezrick, and Kevin Rose. Their personal brands are skyrocketing. And there's no reason to think that eventually they won't become household names. You see where I'm going with this? The first generation built their brands on television and movie screens, radio, magazines, and newspapers. The new one will do the same online at a much lower cost with no need for gatekeeper's approval. Get into position because the big killing is coming around the corner. The field may be different, but the game is the same. By the way, little side note, veering off, the gatekeepers I'm talking about is there's no editor at the New York Times who's gonna tell the world or decide if your writing is good enough to talk to the world. There's no producer or director in Hollywood who's going to be making the decision if you're pretty enough, skinny enough, have the right look anymore. You can just put it out there and let America decide and that's a big deal. Building my brand. If you watch me on winelibrarytv.com, you'll figure out my personal brand pretty quickly. I'm the guy who tells you like it is in plain English. It's a brand that I've been able to develop from a very early age, thanks to growing up in the wine industry. I'd attend $1,000 a head tastings and rub elbows with experienced connoisseurs who lived a long time in the wine trenches. This meant that they had lots of expertise to share with a relative newcomer like me. It also meant that they carried a load of baggage in the form of preconceived notions of how things should be. They'd swirl and smell and slurp and spit and then spout some classic terminology every single time. How the bouquet was rose petals or the finish was silk. I would stick my nose in my glass, suck in a mouthful of air and wine, and the only thing running through my head would be, man, this really tastes like Big League Chew. Or is anybody else getting the whatchamacallit bar on this? I really don't know what this is. It's not that I couldn't spout out an A to Z wine tasting lexicon and didn't appreciate the complexities of an excellent vintage. I knew my Malbecs from my Montepulciano's. I just didn't see why I had to use the same 45 cent words to describe my experience when drinking it. On top of that, everyone, including the reviewers, was drinking and admiring the same damn stuff. If Cloudy Bay Sauvignon Blanc were featured as the best white of 1998, we'd see a huge surge in demand for it in the store. Never mind that as far as I was concerned, the Babbage was a million times better and a better deal since it cost half the price. It was clear to me that the industry was stuck in a rut and my experience in the store told me that people were dying for someone to take the mystery out of wine buying and make it fun. And I thought, this I can do. So I became the wine guy, and that's how I built my personal brand. Not with wine per se, 
I offer my personal brand, not wine, on Wine Library TV. Every episode gives me a chance to share my considerable expertise with other people interested in the same thing I am, which is loads of fun. They also give me a chance to share myself. Watch me for two seconds and you'll know exactly who I am and what I stand for. Authenticity is the key. Now that can definitely be a double-edged sword. I know there are people out there who think I'm a jerk with my jet spit bucket, my table littered with toys, and my colorful language. I'm loud. I'm over the top. I'm hyper. Recently somebody said I'm East Coast for East Coast. But I am who I am. I'm for real. And overall, people like that. People watch and they listen. And they even learn a thing or two and sometimes agree with me that, hell yes, that Riesling does taste like a racquetball. I give wine lovers the permission to like any kind of wine they like, whether it's white Zinfandel or a serious Bordeaux. I cultivated another brand too, of course. The one that got me this book deal and the keynote speeches and the consulting gigs and has helped me, along with my brother AJ, build VaynerMedia. For almost two years, I was patient. I let people get to know me and trust my wine guy personal brand. Then in October 2007, I decided I needed to scratch my own itch. The world was ready to know that I was more than just a funny guy who knows a lot about wine. I woke up one morning and thought, it's time to talk biz. And I started airing videos of me talking about my real passion, building brands and businesses. Regardless of which brand people are drawn to, my popularity stems from the fact that I know what the hell I'm talking about, and that I'm honest. For all my charisma and entertainment value, if the content I was putting out wasn't any good and couldn't be trusted, nobody would be watching. Nobody. To everyone who is freaking out because they fear the noise and distraction of all the additional content on the internet, you can relax. Quality is a ridiculous filter. Cream always rises, my friends, no matter how many cups of coffee you pour. Opportunity lies in transparency. Consumers want you to tell them the truth. Sure, they want quality and service and value and entertainment. But above all, they want to know that the person they're dealing with is being honest. Entrepreneurs don't really have a choice. The lines between the private and public are becoming increasingly blurred. People are able to share their experience and thoughts and photographs on video by spraying them all over the internet within minutes after they happen. The days of being able to con the customer without repercussions are pretty much over. So no matter how you shape and color your personal brand, honesty has to be at your core. I come online five days a week and taste and review wines. Some wines are tremendous. Some taste like horse crap. Do the makers of these wines I pan like me? Probably not. Do I care? You know, in the, in the book, I said nope. In the audiobook, I'll tell you, sure, I mean, I don't want to be disliked and I hate hurting people's feelings and I love people. So from a business sense, no, I don't. But from a personal sense, it does hurt my feelings. Do I sell some of the ones that I think taste bad? You bet I do, because you might totally disagree with me. Someone at the winery who made it sure did. All I'm doing on my blog is being myself and voicing my opinion loud and clear. When you launch your videos, blogs, podcasts, you're going to be doing the same. That goes for everyone, including those of you who are used to keeping information close to the vest, where you will lose one way or another. And I want to veer off again,
because I want to make myself clear about that statement. Here's the problem. Information is being put out daily, quickly, faster than ever. So if you sit on information too long for a book or a lecture, you may lose. My biggest fear when I wrote the book was that the information would change. And I'm sure as you listen to this, I'm going to change some stuff and I'll tell you when. And that was my fear. You know, information is coming out quickly now. It's just really tough to sit on it and sell it as a book. So keep that in mind. Let's say you're in real estate and you love it. Part of the real estate game is learning to put some serious spin on a loser property, right? Your pitch is, it's a charming fixer-upper or a gem waiting for some TLC. Even the appealing properties get the rose-colored treatment. But what if you sat in front of a camera and posted a series of video blogs telling people what you really thought of the homes or commercial sites or lots you were selling? What if you said something like, I've got one ugly house to sell you? Seriously, folks, you've got to see this one. If only to take in one of the last surviving examples of red shag carpeting matched with faux deer antler, woodland creature chandeliers. The sellers are super nice and I would love to get them the 360000 they originally wanted. But I've talked to them about it and they really understand that they need to set their sights lower because this sucker needs some serious renovations. I'm thinking you should take a look at it. And if you got the 275 to spend, plus some extra bucks for a contractor, and bring your imagination, lots of it. Now, I know there are laws in real estate that might make it hard to execute this idea. Clearly, I was pushing the limits in the last paragraph. But would that kind of transparency hurt your business? Maybe at first you'd have a hard time getting sellers to list with you. But imagine what kind of coin you'd earn if you became the most trusted real estate agent in town because no one would ever doubt that you tried to sell them a house you didn't think was worth every dime for which you were asking. Your listings would go up because sellers would be confident their properties weren't going to gather dust on the market. Your sales would even go up because buyers would know they weren't going to have to deal with any BS. On top of that, you might have the satisfaction of doing something you loved entirely your way. And on top of that, you'd build a solid personal brand, the no BS real estate agent that you can now carry with you wherever you go and use as leverage to find bigger and better professional opportunities, including book writing gigs, television appearances, and a variety of other media appearances. Do it. Do it right now, guys. One real estate agent who's building a powerful online personal brand is Ian Watt at ianwatt.ca. Every video blog he launches as he drives around the streets of Vancouver, where he's based, dispenses Ian's thoughts on the real estate business and the state of the market, or offers general advice to property buyers and sellers. He's lively, he's knowledgeable, and he's crushing it big time. Trust your own palate. When you're thinking about your personal brand, don't worry that it will have to look anything like mine in order for you to crush it. You'll crush it as long as you concentrate on being yourself. Besides, you can't be like me. I like wines that you don't. I like White Castle and the New York Knicks, and you probably don't. I'd rather drink a B8 than any fruit juice, and I adore my veggies. I'll take carrots over a plum any day. All these corks have shaped my brand. Your brand will be unique and interesting because you are unique and interesting. Don't put on an act to try to imitate me or anyone else who's had some success with social marketing. You will lose because people can sniff out a poser from a mile away. I had to wait a long time to find a platform that allowed me to create and share my authentic personal brand. 
Before I launched Wine Library TV, I saw that blogs were on the rise and I knew there was an opportunity there and I was desperate to get in on it. But I looked in the mirror and said, can I write? Damn, I can't. Which is pretty ironic. You know, I, I should mention that this book was, you know, done by audio taping it and then dealing with a ghostwriter. And so you've got to know your DNA. You know, you've just got to. You've got to pick the platform you most succeed in. Now, could I have hired someone to write elegant blog posts for me and pretend they were mine? Note to some celebrities, I won't name you. I love you, but you've got to cut that out. We know you're not writing those tweets and we know you're not writing some of those Facebook messages. So start getting real, please. But I knew if I was going to get people to get interested in me, everything was going to have to come straight from me. Unfiltered and unpolished. Creating and disseminating my content would be the only thing that I absolutely could not and would not delegate. Besides, if I was going to spend the time building a gazillion dollar business so that I could buy the jets, I had to do it in a way that was authentically me and that I couldn't wait to do every day. So I waited until I found a medium that spoke to my DNA, video blogs. Jumped on it and never looked back. Embrace your DNA, be yourself, put out awesome content, and people will be interested in what you have to say. Believe me, if you're that good, people are going to find you, and they're going to follow you, and they're going to talk, and getting people to talk is the whole point. Word of mouth on steroids. Leveraging social networking platforms into effective conduits for your personal brand is all about building word of mouth. There's nothing new in that. Since the first six handfuls of grain were handed over in exchange for a new ox, business owners have always known that what their customers and their friends, family or colleagues, think about their restaurant or car or vacation spot or cleaning service or design firm has always mattered more than any billboard or radio ad they could buy. But there have always been a finite number of people, their customers and friends, family or colleagues, could talk to about their experience with their products or services. Now though, the internet and social networks and the instant access to online communities and the millions of people who will eventually join them, they provide, have pumped word of mouth up like it's on steroids. The consumer is no longer limited to talking about her experience with your personal brand to the people in her immediate circle or even in random encounters during her day. Now, if she's got a Twitter account, she can now tell 5,000 people that she just read your hilarious blog post about breeding Siamese cats. And since those aren't just 5,000 random people, they're 5,000 people who have deliberately told your Twitter reader they want to hear what she thinks, chances are superb that a good percentage of them are going to be curious enough to check out your blog for themselves. And like in a brick and mortar business, half the battle is getting them in the door. If they like you, many will turn around and repost your reader's comment to all of the people following them, and so on and so on. Now, how long did it take you, the Siamese cat breeder, to reach thousands upon thousands of potential blog readers and customers this way? For free, nonetheless. 10 minutes, give or take? It's mind-blowing. Every day, more and more tools are being created to carry your personal brand further. Everybody's doing it. You may have not started your business yet, but there's a good chance you've already created a personal brand without even realizing it. You become one the second you create any kind of internet account that puts you in the public eye. 
Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, social networking sites, yes. But personal branding sites too? Don't think so. Let's say you're a Shutterbug and you use your Facebook or Flickr account to post your best photographs. You've just made it possible for someone whose passion is business development with expertise in advertising to see them. Next thing you know, you get an email asking if you want to earn cash by shooting stock photos in your area. I know this might sound like pie in the sky, but it happens every day. I've seen it with my own eyes. You have to understand that we're living in a world where word of mouth is allowing content to travel faster and further than ever before. It's passed around and around until finally it falls in the right hands. I'm telling you, once you join the digital world, you're in play, so you'd better be prepared. Maybe you think that you have no need to create a personal brand because you like your job or you work for a corporation. What, you think you're invincible? Even if the economy were soaring, I'd be telling you to start using social media tools to share your ideas with the world and make yourself a recognizable brand. What if you're a trader at an investment firm and suddenly you're out of work and all you have to show is a bullcrap resume? Hold it, you might want to reassure me, my resume is awesome. Tell me this, is it a PDF of a tidy list of where you've worked and for how long with a couple of strategic bullet points highlighting what you did at each job? Yeah, you're toast. Keep your PDF so that the HR department has something for their files, but otherwise traditional resumes are going to be irrelevant and soon, even if they're not yet. That resume you're so proud of looks exactly like the ones being waved around by the other 300 analysts in your city currently job hunting. Developing your brand is the same thing as living and breathing your resume every second that you're working. Your latest tweet and comment on Facebook and the most recent blog post, that's your resume now. That's how you're going to announce to the world your ideas and opinions. The very things that make you unique and reveal why a firm, or better yet, a passionate entrepreneur cherry-picking top talent to build a whole new kind of investment company would be dumb not to hire you. Think about how different your situation would look if you got laid off but had been keeping up your personal brand and becoming well-established as a hot commodity. Before, it would have taken hours of phone calls and emails to announce you were available. Today, 30 minutes after getting the bad news, you'd write a blog post and then send out a tweet and a status update on Facebook about your situation. I didn't mention this in the book, but I'm doing the audio now, so I'm gonna riff, and clearly, I left out LinkedIn. I mean, immediately, anybody in that world's gonna know. And immediately, every manager in the industry would know you were looking for a job. And since they'd already be familiar with you and your brand, think, hmm, how can I get this guy on board? It's a fact that hiring decisions are made every day because of personal connections. If you're a sales manager at Crest, every post you make online could have an agenda. Whether it's to reveal your thoughts on your industry, we've got to come up with a fresh approach to packaging or to reveal your thoughts in general. I think I want to take up ice hockey. You cannot afford to be one-dimensional. Everything you say that you think is irrelevant is now relevant. Think of all that online commentary you post as your half of one long, friendly lunch interview. If a manager is hiring and has the choice between two equally qualified candidates, she's going to choose the one with whom she experienced some kind of bond, whether it's a mutual belief in revamping the toothpaste industry or a shared love of ice hockey. Through your content, you're making sure that people can get to know you personally and professionally. 
Now, because your personal brand is already well-known and respected, if you need a job and there is a position that needs to be filled, you're likely to be the first one called. If you've built your brand right, those established firms will be out of luck because the biz dev guy who has been following you, someone like me, will have already invited you to participate in an exciting new venture. Your days of working to put money in someone else's pockets are over. Chapter 4. A Whole New World Business in the future is going to be a field day for everyone with talent because they'll no longer be forced to exist within the confines of the old guard institutions. For example, everyone who is screaming that journalism is dead because newspapers and magazines are folding is insane. The old platforms are in trouble, but that's the best thing that could ever happen for journalists. The good ones, anyway. The platforms are sinking because the readers are going online, which means that the ad money is going online. So, of course, journalists should go online, too. But their opportunity is not for work for hire, where they scramble to earn a few bucks here and a few bucks there, writing pieces for various online publications. Nor is a staff writer earning pennies while the company keeps a disproportionate amount of the ad revenue brought in on the backs of poorly paid talent. Unlike people in most fields, journalists are constantly building brand equity through their work. So all talented journalists have to do is take advantage of the technological and cultural shifts that are sinking their media platforms like leaky ships. Go into business for themselves and crush it. I make it sound easy, right? I know it's not. But guess what? It's the future. And those journalists and reporters who get wise to that truth are the ones who are going to survive. Now... Some reporters and journalists are probably not business savvy enough to launch a new business on their own. Though, those who possess that rare combination of fiery entrepreneurial spirit and reporting chops could team up and form a killer online news service without any biz dev partnership at all. They're going to win really big. But journalists with less business sense but massive talent won't be left out in the cold. I guarantee that as more business developers recognize the huge potential in this market, they're going to start recruiting top talent to join them in new ventures. What might these ventures look like? We've already seen that small, lean-type business models like Politico.com, RealClearPolitics.com, SeekingAlpha.com, and DailyBeast.com can work. The new generation of online news is going to be more democratic. Maybe we'll see a four-person journalist staff team up with a fifth business partner to create the DailyScoop.com. Everyone owns 20% of stake in the company. Obviously, you can have a 40-person team and everyone would just own fewer points. They won't report breaking news at first. And let's be honest, how much of what we read in the paper today are broken by the paper and we didn't hear about the day before on TV or radio? Rather, they'll focus on using social media to pump out provocative analysis. They do that for a year and build up cash flow through advertising, which would stream in because, as we all know, money follows the eyeballs. And these guys are good enough to draw a lot of viewers. With enough revenue in place, they would eventually be able to hire more journalists and launch investigative reporting. These reporters won't get paid 80 Gs to go to Afghanistan. They'll get paid 7% equity. You know, I love how the newspaper industry always says, who's going to do the investigative reporting? Well, investigative reporters. But they're going to get more part of the action since they're so darn valuable. And you know what's even more importantly? There will be some civilian journalism. 
Somebody in Afghanistan will come along armed with the combination of phone with flip cam. They're coming. You watch and stream the news live. I'm going to jump out of this for a minute because I wrote this months ago. And as we all know now, the iPhone does stream that and do that. So as you can see, technology is moving fast, even in a couple months. There are lots of other ways these new businesses could play out. What's to stop the 10 most popular journalists at the Wall Street Journal from banding together in conjunction with a business partner to create their own online all-star team? Or maybe they could launch an online newspaper in which every time an article gets a click-through, the journalist who wrote it gets two bucks. Sure, there'll be writers who might try to game the system, and there's clearly ethical questions that would come up. But anyone who goes down the path is going to get exposed, I guarantee it. Don't worry about church and state, because the lights are on the church. There have always been people in every industry with hidden agendas, but now there is no place for them to hide. News is going to get much more local, and we're going to see news paparazzi. There will be a personal brand called the News Maverick, a newer version of Geraldo Rivera, who becomes known for jumping fences with his cell phone or flip cam and breaking major stories. What will that be worth? Plenty. News has been functioning under a communistic regime, but capitalism always wins. Critics can argue with me and say that these new models demean the training and insight and education it takes to be a great journalist. And perhaps that's true. But crying about how things should be instead of embracing how things are doesn't do anyone any good. The changes affecting the news business are permanent. Fundamental supply and demand is shifting. Quantity is up, price is down which means the cost structure has to shrink dramatically. And like it or not, many people's respect for quality reporting has eroded. This upsets me as much as the next guy. But the fact is that it's a trend that's having a huge impact on business and needs to be noticed and accepted. To explore and analyze all the sides of this story with the depth it deserves would unfortunately require way more space than this audiobook allows me. But I assure you, this is how things are going to roll. The only arguments I get in this debate, by the way, are from journalists and individuals with an emotional attachment to the idea of ink on paper and the romance of sipping a cup of coffee while reading the Sunday Times. Most business people know I'm right. If the traditional platforms are sinking ships, then journalists are sailors who need to jump. If they're not strong enough to get to the new ship, yes, they're gonna drown. But those who are great swimmers are going to sail very, very far. That is the way business has always played and always will. It's a truth that at the heart of this book, the game is changing and your opportunity is huge if you take it. The middleman has not yet been eliminated, but we're getting there. A lot has been made of how the music and news industries have been turned upside down by the internet technology. But anyone who thinks the revolution is going to stop there is naive. The massive sea change that is rocking the news industry is going to rock every industry that relies on human interaction. And can you think of any business that isn't in some way dependent on human interaction? I can't. The changes that will be wrought by the internet are as fundamentally transformative to the content and commerce as the printing press. It's a whole new world. Build your personal brand and get ready for it. Plan your future now. If you don't plan ahead and decide where you want to go, you're in big trouble. My feeling is that no matter how much you like your job, you should aim to leave it and grow your own brand and business 
or partner with someone to do so. Because as long as you're working for someone else, you'll never be living entirely true to yourself and your passion. That said, I will never tell anyone to quit their job, especially if you've got other people to support. Family first, remember? I will, however, tell you to start planning to quit your job if you can't answer yes to the following checklist. One, are you happy with your present job? Like really happy. Like you don't bitch and moan every Monday morning about how much you wish it were Friday night. Two, do you work for a company that allows you to have a public persona? either about your field or your true passion, which when I'm through, I'll have convinced you should be one and the same, but I'll cut you some slack for now. In other words, are you allowed to have a blog, a Twitter account, or otherwise brand yourself in the public eye with an identity that is separate from that of your corporation? Some industries, like finance and law, will not allow this. If your passion is finance or law, do you love your field enough to make that sacrifice? Do you think you'll love it as much in 10 or 20 years and not regret missing out on all the opportunities inherent in social media. Three, if you're not allowed to develop a public persona at work, are you allowed to do so during your personal time? If your answers are no to number two and three, I don't care how happy you are, you should do everything you can to find another place to work or start the groundwork to launch your own business because eventually you're going to suffocate. Any company that clamps down on its best talent and doesn't allow them to talk to the public is holding that talent back from where the business world is going, and you don't want to be left behind. Without the freedom to develop a personal brand, you will find yourself at a strong disadvantage to the competition that will have been pumping out the content and making a name for themselves. If you're not happy in your job, but you can still build brand equity at work, or at home by blogging or creating podcasts about what you love, I still want you to plan to leave and launch your own business because life is way too short to spend it working in a job you don't love. I'm not as worried about you though as I am about someone who's happy but not allowed to talk to the public because as long as you're creating content and building your brand, you're building future opportunity. But if you're not happy at work and faceless and have been forbidden to talk about your passion to the world, Get the hell out of there as soon as you can. You've got no chance otherwise in creating a personal brand, and without one, you're professionally dead in the water. Look, financial security is important, but if you love sneakers and you know more about them and are more passionate about them than anyone else on earth, you can make money talking about them. I believe that with every ounce of my soul. Recently, Tara Swigger announced she was quitting her day job to devote herself entirely to BlondeChickenBoutique.com, where she's building a passionate community of fiber growers and artisans. She sells hand-dyed organic yarn and blogs about knitting, dyeing, and other domestic arts. She's clearly crushing it. Why can't you? Chapter 5. Create Great content. To monetize your personal brand into a business using social marketing networks, two pillars need to be in place, product and content. We've talked about how to choose your product, which should be whatever you're most passionate about. Whatever it is, it should go without saying that the quality counts in a major way. You can hustle and market and network all you want, but if your sports drink tastes like trash, or if you're putting out bad information, you're gonna lose. Know your stuff.
Great content is what you're going to pump into your social media networks to draw eyeballs to your blog. It exists as a result of passion plus expertise. So make sure you can talk about your product like no one else. Do your homework. You should be reading and absorbing every single resource you can find. Books, trade journals, newsletters, websites, as well as taking classes and attending conferences. You're also going to visit and interact with other people's blogs on the same subject, but there's a method to that, which we'll get into later. You can even make the learning process part of your content. Think of all those cooking blogs that chronicle disastrous culinary experiments. Those are fun, right? And a pediatrician who admits he is considering changing his approach to vaccines based on newest studies coming from the APA isn't giving his patients' families reasons not to trust him. He's showing them he's on top of the latest research. There's only one test I can suggest if we want to be absolutely sure that the passion around which you're building a brand is also monetizable. Can you think of at least 50 blog topics that you're amped to write about it? That's about the minimum number of posts you'll need to give yourself enough time to get a feel for the situation. That said, I'm convinced that if something is your true passion, you can find 500 things, 500 interesting things to say about it. Most people talk themselves out of success before they even start. Their passion is stickers, but they think, there's no way it could make a hundred grand talking about stickers. That's why you're going to crush it, because you're the type who's going to say, stickers? Hell yes, stickers. Or at least, as I veer off the script, saying, well, maybe, you know, Gary said maybe stickers. I mean, here's the thing. You've got to put your toe in the pool. You're never going to start swimming unless you do it. Tell a story. Great content is also about telling stories, and that's true even if you're in retail or B2B or customer services. If you're a real estate agent and your area is Clark, New Jersey, then you should want to tell me everything about Clark that makes it unique. Tell me the story of the town, not just the home you want to sell me. Make me care about the place as much as you do. If you're a doctor, tell me about the interesting cases you saw today. Tell me about the trends you're seeing, or give me advice or your opinion about the flu shots, like the swine flu. If your passion is sales, talk to me about why you love it, your favorite persuasive technique, your most interesting clients, and your biggest challenges. Tell me your story, and if you're good, I'll come back for more. Then I'll tell my friends, and they'll come. And where my friends and I go, the dollars, in the form of ad revenue and sponsorships, will follow. Communicate with me, because whoever is the best communicator will win. Don't lie to yourself. Do you have an idea of how many people introduce themselves to me with, hi, I'm going to be the next Oprah? I'm all about being confident, and I respect anyone who's got big ambition. But let's face it, not everyone is going to be Oprah. Everyone has the ability to achieve great self-awareness, but we all occasionally lie to ourselves. Some of us, however, lie to ourselves more than others. When you start thinking about your livelihood and your passion, and the content you want to create. May I suggest looking in the mirror and having the following conversation with yourself. Is technology, or candy, or marketing, or soccer my ultimate passion? Yes. Okay. Am I good enough to be the best blogger about tech, candy, marketing, soccer in the world? Mmm. If you can't answer both of these questions, Am I sure my passion is what I think it is and can I talk about it better than anyone else with an emphatic yes, 
you're not gonna win at the biggest level. You're not even gonna come in fifth, ninth, twelfth, which would also be perfectly respectable and profitable. But didn't I say that anyone who creates a blog around his passion can monetize? I did. But a lot of people are good at deluding themselves. And if you go into this deluding yourself, you're not going to make the money and you're not going to be happy and you're going to be just another boring blog on the internet. You can monetize any passion, but the level at which you can monetize will be affected by the size of your niche and whether you are able to differentiate yourself enough from the other players in it. There are a lot of pockets out there today, however, that can sustain a nice forty to $75,000 a year business. Choose your medium carefully. We've all watched and read and listened to boring blogs. Most of them out there, in fact, are really boring. It is because the star doesn't know what he is talking about. No, he's on message, he's relevant, he's informative. The problem isn't that he doesn't know what he's talking about, it's that he's talking about it at all. He probably should be talking about something else, something that makes him shine, that gets him excited, that allows his personality and passion to burst through your monitor and demand that you pay attention no matter whether he's an introvert or an extrovert. A lot of people add these blogs to their websites for visual interest and to offer a different way for their audience to get information, and that's fine. But adding video or audio elements just for the sake of adding them isn't going to send your brand or your business to the moon. The only way these tools work is if you're using them for the right job. Even the dullest introvert has pizzazz when talking about something he or she is passionate about and when he or she is using the right medium to talk about it. If you watch an engineer talking about engineering and it's boring, one of three problems is in play. He's talking about the wrong topic, he's using the wrong medium, or both. If I spent an hour with him, Maybe we discover that his medium is writing and his passion is baseball. Get him writing about baseball and I guarantee he'll get better feedback and financial results than he ever had when he was talking about engineering. Now, let me jump in here and veer off. That engineering gig might be paying 100000 a year. The baseball blog will start off and make nothing. This is all about running a marathon. Way too many people are trying to run sprints. Everybody wants to make fast cash. Has to happen in a minute, a week, a year. Nobody's building big businesses in 20 minutes, guys. You know, if you really want to build something special, something real, something of legacy, something your grandkids can be proud of, you have to work your ass off and you have to do it every day. And the only way you're going to do that is if you love it. So this person doesn't quit their engineering job, but they write about baseball at night. And over time, slowly but surely, maybe, just maybe, a year or two in, he's got enough readers that he can maybe quit take a thirty dollars or $40,000 a year loss, but now he can put all his time and effort into it, close that gap within that first year, and he's on his way, and he's not doing that boring engineering, and he's talking about the Mets and Cardinals and Phillies every day with the biggest, fattest smile on his face and making the kind of cash he wants to. There are people who belong in front of the camera. There are people who belong in print, and there are people who belong on the air. These are the extraordinary people. The ordinary ones, the ones like the vast majority of business people and entrepreneurs out there, don't have the showman DNA. That doesn't mean they won't succeed, as long as they're realistic about what success is going to look like. The extraordinary people will make millions of dollars, and ordinary Joes will earn more in the mid-five-figure range. Is that disappointing? Think of it this way. Oprah who is without a doubt extraordinary, built her brand using the right medium and the right topic, and she made billions. And a massive majority of people that tried to play that game made zero. 
today, everybody else can make 40K doing that. You know, that's crazy to me, veering off the script a little bit. I mean, this is gonna be a Geraldo, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Ricky Lake game. I mean, Tyra Banks makes 30 million a year. She's not Oprah, but I don't think anybody listening to this is crying for her. In most of the country, earning mid-five figures means you're living really well. Often exactly as well as you would if you were schlepping into someone else's office every day. Now though, you're earning the same money talking about something you are crazy about. It's a good deal. Take it. Know yourself. Choose the right medium. Choose the right topic. Create awesome content. And you can make a lot of money being happy. The lure and the lasso. You're going to work your content in two ways. The first is as a lure. Creating it, posting it, and allowing people to come to you as they discover it. The second is to use it as a lasso through comments on other people's blogs. People's content that relates to yours. Inserting yourself into existing conversations and actively creating reasons for your audience to come to you. Of course, you have to give people a place to find your killer content. So let's go there next. Chapter six, choose your platform. So you've got a killer product or service and content. Now you're going to deliver your message via a blog. By the way, I'm gonna veer off here real quick for people listening. Yes, a blog is now basically the same thing as a web page. You know, early on it was you had a website. A blog and a website are the same. A blog is, you know, just a much more flexible product so you don't have to keep paying a developer to change your site. Blogs have these back-end infrastructures that allow you to do this. In the online world, you've got three formats to choose from, though some people might do a combination. Video, audio, or written. There's a ton of information already out there detailing the minutia of how to use all of these platforms. Rather than waste your time here repeating what's already been said, I've recommended in this chapter some of the best resources available. I'd much rather make sure you understand the global implications of these platforms. That said, the next three chapters offer general descriptions and explanations of all the building blocks you'll need to build a successful business through social media. In chapter 10, you'll find an in-depth example of personal brand building that incorporates just about every concept and technique we discuss. This step in building your business is once again all about working your DNA. To my mind, the most effective content medium is video. And that's the one I prefer to focus on. It's just easier to grab people's attention and draw them in, especially a public who reads less and less. I also think letting people see you is a major plus when trying to sell a personal brand. Don't think any subject is off limits for a video blog. If your passion is sales, do a show about sales. Can you imagine Sam, the salesman, who picks a new selling opportunity every day? On Monday, he sells flowers. On Tuesday, he heads to the flea market, and so on and so on throughout the week. Or maybe he takes a new job and chronicles his rise to salesman of the year. If you're an accountant, you can still put that on video. I sure as hell don't want to read accounting material, but I'll watch a video if you're good enough to make something like balance sheets or operating profits interesting. And if you infuse your show with your personality and all that makes you unique, all the better. Do that and your audience will find you. I guarantee it. I use video because I love to talk and I've got a big personality and that medium is just the most fun for me. But again, do not compromise your DNA. If you're self-conscious in front of the camera, but have loads of personality plus a compelling voice, don't force yourself to do a video blog. Do an audio podcast. 
Think about it. It's not just car buffs who listen to car talks, click and clack, who have a weekly radio show, but also podcasts on NPR. They're funny, they're charismatic, knowledgeable. They could talk in those Boston accents about nothing but carburetors all day and keep people's attention. Do the same thing about photography or coffee or soap or scuba diving. If you have a squeaky voice and you're shy, but a brilliant writer, obviously a written blog is your perfect medium. By now, there are plenty of success stories about people who monetized their awesome blogs. Why can't that be you? There are other advantages to blogs. They increase the ability for people to find you through internet searches because their content changes and expands daily. Not so with stagnant websites. Publishing a web page can be very labor-intensive and even require learning a little bit of new software. But a parrot can put up a blog page today. It's easy, it's customizable, and it's free. I mean, what else do you want? Even if you already have an e-commerce website or your focus is B2B, you need to start a blog. Though once you see how simple it is to do, you may ditch your old website altogether. Think of it this way. Your website is for communicating logistics and facilitating sales. Your blog is for communicating the essence of your brand. It allows you to expand on your topic in ways that static websites simply can't. For example, if you're a software company, your website will explain what products and services you provide. But in your audio podcast, you can discuss your thoughts on current software trends, or you can interview company leaders whose products you use, and even some who you don't. Explore the topic more fully. That's the real freedom you have with a blog, or an audio blog, or a video blog. Giving people interested in software the opportunity to get to know you as a living, thinking, interesting human being who happens to know everything they want to know about software will make them that much more likely to want to do business with you. Your blog will be your main home, your central location with a no exceptions open door policy where anyone can find you. It also serves as a storage for all the content you will create, essentially building an archive where people can see how you and your business have evolved and expanded. It is the place where you can talk as loud and as long and as often as in-depth as you want. To keep people coming to this home, you'll need to be consistently reaching out and interacting with the online community of people interested in your passion who are also your potential clients, customers, friends, the whole shebang, really. To do that, you'll need to step up to one of the many online platforms where you will do the bulk of your marketing and social networking. The must-haves. In December of 2008, I spent $7,500 to offer free shipping codes to winelibrary.com via three marketing and advertising channels, a perfectly placed billboard on the New Jersey Turnpike, a direct mail campaign, and a radio buy. The billboard brought in 170 orders. The radio campaign did about 240 orders. Direct mail, we got a little over 300. I Twittered out for free a free shipping code and got 1,700 orders in 48 hours. What this anecdote should prove to you is that the platforms are everything and that the old ones are softening. If they don't adjust soon, they will be gone or at best irrelevant. As it is, these traditional platforms should be only used by the biggest companies who can afford the scale. Television, newspapers, and radio used to be the global platforms. Through these channels, companies and a few lucky, connected individuals could distribute their content to the world within a few days. Now, though all of these platforms have been overshadowed by the biggest platform ever, the internet. Within this global platform are social marketing sub-platforms. 
And these are the tools you're going to be using to distribute your killer content and your personal brand to the masses. Not in days, but in seconds. The difference between promoting your brand via traditional marketing and advertising mediums and doing it via social networking platforms is like the difference between sending a message by Pony Express and chatting on AOL Instant Messenger. Sure, you could use the former, but there's a good chance that the recipient will have moved on or forgotten about you by the time the message arrives to its destination. Guys, we're bordering on social network platform overload. There are 50 or 60 platforms that people are currently using to distribute business content, and by the time this book comes out, there will be more. And by the way, there are more. You know, we're now looking at 300 plus for sure. But there are only a few major players with which you need to familiarize yourself with. Some have funny names, but otherwise they are no different from the hammers and the buckets of paint and fax machines and telephones that people have used for generations to build businesses to spread the word about whatever they were offering. The rest of this chapter offers an overview of the leading social marketing platforms and the optimal way to use them. WordPress and Tumblr. All other platforms lead to this one. Your home, your destination, your blog. WordPress and Tumblr are the best and most popular blogging platforms currently available. There are others, of course, Blogger, and especially the Six Apart products are good. But these are the two that I've used and liked, so I'm going to talk about them. WordPress is the established leader with the most users. Its design's a little bit busy. It requires a few more steps to get your content up and shared, but it's not difficult to learn. With some practice, in fact, there are some really interesting options available for skilled users. Although, to my mind, there's no reason to bother becoming that skilled. One of its nicest features is an excellent and easy archive system with a search capability, so people can find anything you've ever posted about. And WordPress allows for some sophisticated customization to your page. I'm a big fan of their themes as well. There are the design options you get to choose from when you create a page, and I think they're really elegant. Tumblr, on the other hand, is a very simple design site that is super easy to use. You can post a video and photos on WordPress, but Tumblr directs you to template designed specifically for this kind of content you wish to create, whether text, photo, link, video, or music. Hit create a post and you're good to go. It's a little known fact, too, that Tumblr is one of the only blogging platforms that will allow you to host your name for free, which can save you hundreds of dollars a year. What this means is that you can identify yourself as sallydressdesigner.com. Obviously, you have to buy that name first on GoDaddy instead of sallydressdesigner.tumblr.com. You have that option on WordPress too, but if you want to pay for hosting, it's going to end up being sallydressdesigner.com. Otherwise, it's going to be sallydressdesigner.wordpress.com. Another advantage to Tumblr is the reblog function. On WordPress, you have to write a new post about a story you read in order to tell others about it. When account users see somebody post something they like on Tumblr, they can hit a button above the story that says reblog, which allows them to quote-unquote tumble it. With that, they're using their blog to extend someone else's story. That is exactly the kind of 2.0 word-of-mouth marketing you want to inspire in your audience so that they will do the same. When using this platform, the most important thing to consider is the user interface of your blog. Consider following buttons as displays to your storefront. They are what will turn one visit into repeat business. Call to action buttons. These incredibly important buttons are all about capture. Subscribe to email, friend me up, follow me, become a fan. 
all of these are ways to suggest that your users prolong their interaction with your brand. When you're working your butt off on your social networks to bring your community into your domain, it's so that they will click on one of these several buttons. If you tried getting people to friend you or follow you via Facebook and Twitter, you'd come across a spam. So I'm gonna jump off the script here a little bit and go a little bit detail into this stuff because this is important. The UI and having these call to action buttons is so imperative. You know, having follow me on Twitter, fan me on Facebook, you know, is such a big deal. And then things like you see on GaryVaynerchuk.com, like buy the book or check out the seminar or check out this. It's so important. It's like the end caps in a retail store. When you go to Walmart or Target, um, it's just so important that you guys recognize that those end caps, they're not there for, you know, kicks and giggles. There's a business initiative behind it. And you need to look at your blog that way as well. Above the fold, you need to be able to be followed. You need to capture data, capture their email. Such a big deal. Share functions. These are all about word of mouth. These are the buttons you see like tweet this and Facebook share this and dig this, you know, stumble that, email this. These are huge. These are story extenders. Um, they allow your audience to kind of pass on your stuff at a very low cost. One little click could be sending it to thousands of eyeballs. If you're not putting these in the proper spots on your site, you're making a massive mistake and losing out on a lot of potential, big, big potential new fans. If you feel uncertain about how to use any of the platforms discussed in this book or anything at all, really, all you have to do is Google your question. Someone out there has likely had the same problem, the same query, the same issue. YouTube's also a great play, guys. I mean, it's video. It's become the second biggest search engine in the world, and it's a great how-to kind of place. You know, I'm not directing you guys to Google or YouTube because I'm lazy. I'm doing it because, really, I just know that that's how I get my information. It's how I learned. And nothing you hear here is going to make it easier for you than that is. I mean, that's really the way to go. That being said, you know, if there's anything else I can help you with, feel free to email me at gary at vaynermedia.com. V-A-Y-N-E-R, media, M-E-D-I-A.com. Facebook. If you have not heard of Facebook before, please turn this off and get your ass in gear because that's pretty much impossible. In the last five years, it's clearly become the biggest social network in the world. It's got everybody from Girl Scout troops to grandmas. Facebook is a, you know, a place where you can share your photos, your articles, your videos, information about where you're traveling, music you listen to, you know, everything in your private life as much as you'd like to. It's a fairly easy platform, it's fun, and it's kind of interesting. What I like about it is it provides you two places from which you can talk about your business. One is your normal platform, right? Your normal profile, one that most of you guys have. Um, I'm sure a bunch of you have that page now, but there's also another thing, and that's the fan page. The fan page is very interesting. If you're in commerce, and if you're listening to this book, you have to have a Facebook fan page. Why when your user profile can offer so much information, you might ask? Well, because your profile can only have 5,000 friends. And if you're like me and trying to build brand equity and build a business, you don't want to have to turn down the 19,000 pending friend requests like I had on Facebook. It's not only bad business, plenty of those people thought I was a jerk. So, whoever heard of a business with 5,000 customer limits? Your fan page will also allow you to email everybody in one shot. People interact on that page, they join the page, they can see the news feed, 
Um, and more importantly, when they join it, every one of their friends will see, you know, Sally Thompson has joined the Gary Vaynerchuk fan page. And that's important to see because that becomes word of mouth, which then leads to curiosity, which then leads them to click on your page and check out what you're about. And this is how you start really building a platform, a brand. If you've been using a regular profile or you created a group page for your business, guys, don't take it down. Simply leave it there and have a link to your new fan page. Through your fan page, you should always stay on business-oriented messaging. Some people use their personal profile pages to talk business too, and I'm totally fine with that. That's entirely up to you and your DNA. What you do on Facebook, Twitter, should be an absolute reflection of how you live in your daily life. Experienced business people already know that most networking and brand building has always been done in casual environments. The ball game, the picnic, untangling dogs when you cross leashes. If you talk shop at every cocktail party, strike up conversations with seatmates on airplanes, or hand out your card at your cousin's wedding, then your personal profile should also update everyone who comes to you about what's going on with your business. It's just an extension of everyday life, really, guys. You should occasionally mix things up, though and let people see and feel your great personality. It's totally possible to include a healthy mix of updates like, I love scrambled eggs for breakfast, or just sold my one millionth unit, or in two hours I'm hosting an online seminar. Who's in? The most important thing to remember is to be authentic, to be yourself, that authenticity is what will give you the greatest chance of success. There are privacy settings on Facebook that allow you to customize groups of contacts and friends so that some can only see certain parts of your Facebook page, like the information page, where you might want to just put your professional history and not other things like your status updates. I'd love for you to ignore privacy settings because I don't think it's useful to place restrictions on your brand. But if you think it makes you more comfortable and you don't want to expose yourself that much to the whole world, then go ahead and use a filter. There is an inherent business cost, but business costs should never trump personal costs. Twitter. Before I get into this, this has definitely been the most controversial you know, social network. There's so many people listening right now saying Twitter's so stupid. But when it comes to business and understanding business, you can't call something stupid that's picked up 70 million users in a year. You'd be really stupid to not Try to understand what's going on in there. Twitter will have become a verb. People will tweet just like everyone Googles and Xeroxes. Like Facebook, you use Twitter to put out content, albeit bite-sized 140 character content, and to follow other people and their 140-bit content. Some people react to Twitter with disbelief, like who the heck wants to hear that I'm having this procedure or that I'm having fish sticks for dinner? But the day I saw it, I knew I was staring at the pulse of society. It was the most game-changing website I've ever seen prior to Facebook. You think people are confused by it now? You should have seen people scratching their heads in January of 2007 when I first started talking about it and using it. Here's what I know. There are plenty of people that do want to know all the details of what you're doing and you're thinking. They just don't want to admit it. We've all got that voyeuristic tendency in us. Twitter's just given us permission to cave into them a bit. But the fact that you can share your dinner preferences with thousands of people instantaneously is not even the top 100 reasons Twitter is the most powerful brand building tool in your toolbox. First, it has incredible endorsement power. 
when somebody retweets what you're saying, they're saying you're smart or worthy to pay attention to. That comes with a lot of value. The retweet enables anyone to spread whatever content they find profound or solid or funny or good throughout the world very quickly in a very efficient way. Tumblr has the tumble option, which is similar, but Twitter is sizzling hot and mainstream and there are way more eyeballs on it right now. Thus, it has more value. From the beginning, it was developed to be a mobile platform. So even though Facebook has an app you can use on your phone, Twitter has much more brand equity already in those places and is clearly the go-to social network when it comes to mobile first. Second, it has press release opportunity allowing companies and businesses to have a closer relationship with their consumer. It closes the six degrees of separation to one. It's also become such a basic tool for leaders to let people know what they're doing, whether it's important, what's on their minds, and allows companies to respond immediately to their customers' concerns. For example, as soon as I read somebody's post that my shipping rates were too expensive at Wine Library, I was immediately able to reach out and address the person's concern. We'll be seeing more and more examples of this going on as the groundswell of tweets continues to explode and it is going to become a bigger and bigger topic that people talk about. Such as when Motrin got hammered by mom bloggers for an ad they perceived disrespectful or when Amazon fended off accusations of censorship via what the New York Times dubbed as tweet rage because of a cataloging error. Yeah, right. When it erased thousands of books, many of them gay and lesbian themed from its sales rank and main search page. The thing is though, businesses don't have to, nor should they, wait until calamity strikes to pay attention to what people are saying. The real beauty of Twitter and all other social networks for that matter, is that they offer the massive opportunity for every entrepreneur and business to keep constant tabs on what their customers are thinking about them. This is the kind of interaction with the consumer that should be happening with every business every day. Third, Twitter is a research and development tool that allows you to crowdsource. Who needs focus groups or even Nielsen ratings when you can simply tweet out a question like, are you watching what's going on in American Idol? Or do you think this should stay on the air and get direct responses from your followers? You can use Twitter to keep abreast of what the competition is up to, what their consumer reactions are. Saks recently opened the shoe department in New York and worked with the post office to sign it its own zip code. If I were working at Bloomingdale's or Bergdorf, I would have been all over search.twitter to see what people were saying about this marketing platform. Fourth, it allows even your most mundane questions to become opportunities for conversation. Google and YouTube are reliable ways to get information, but they're one-way streets. You ask a question, you get an answer. You can send out emails, but then you're limited to the immediate group of people you know. But if you tweet, is there a PowerPoint expert out there? You're reaching out to thousands of people, and the first thing they'll want to know when they respond is what you're presenting and to whom, which opens up all kinds of chances to talk about what you do and who you are and bingo, you're building brand equity. Twitter is a two-way street that takes you really, really far, really, really fast. Fifth, it's a great vehicle through which to spread your commerce-driven intentions. If you're listening to this book, you've got commerce-driven intentions. Don't lie, don't lie. You wanna build a brand, you wanna sell a product, find a job, you might wanna help a charity. That's still commerce-driven intentions. Get those attentions on Twitter and you'll be amazed 
at how fast people respond. The best use of Twitter, though, is to lure people to your blog or to your world. Make your 140-character tweets compelling and thoughtful and quality enough to convince people to find out more about you and to consume your content. You can post great content on Twitter. Several people have used Twitter to an amazing effect to build brand equity. But because of the 140-character limit, you have to tweet a lot in order to have the same amount of impact with your content as you would with your blog. Plus, there's always the risk of being perceived as spam when you tweet too much. I think it's more efficient and more effective to link tweets back to your blog. Even those individuals known for their presence on Twitter have links to blogs. Chris Saka is a huge Twitterer, but he does keep a blog. Granted, he only blogs about once a month. He hasn't asked for my opinion, but I think he could even build more brand equity if he blogged every day or a couple times a week. That would give people even more reasons to hang with him. But to each his own, DNA trumps all. If you're not using Twitter because you're in the camp that believes it's stupid, you're going to lose. (laughs) It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter if you think it's stupid. It's free communication and there's a crap load of users. That in itself has value and you should understand it and take advantage of it. Use Twitter the same way you use your cell phone or a map or GPS. It's just another opportunity to get closer to people and places that you need. For a very low cost of entry and time, Twitter allows the consumer to tell every person in his world what he thinks is cool, crappy, or interesting. Do your job right, and eventually you can be the cool, interesting subject that gets circulated, which will bring viewers back to your blog, which will get you the attention of people with deep pockets, and which will open up tons of opportunities. Ten years ago, it would have taken you months, if not years, to generate that kind of word of mouth. Now it takes seconds. Oh, by the way, it would have cost you a crap load of money as well. I want to share with you the best business tweet of all time, guys. Here it is. You ready? Write this down. I know. For the third time, you have to pull over the car. What can I do for you? You'll be amazed at the response you get. You're in business to serve your community. Never forget that. I am convinced that we are now living in a day and age where every one of us is only in one business, the customer service business. What we do after that is massively secondary. And the quicker you and your business realize that, the bigger upside you'll have going forward. As of right now, I truly believe that search.twitter.com is the most important site on the internet. It gives you the ability to search any subject matter and you can even narrow it down to a zip code about anything you do. For example, that's what I did when it used to be called surmise.com. I searched Chardonnay and Merlot and Pinot Grigio and created scenarios that allowed my fan base, or more importantly, allowed me to build a bigger fan base by extending my arm out, shaking somebody's hand and saying, I can answer your question about Chardonnay. Let's say VaynerMedia was working with Advil. The fact that Advil can go to search.twitter, Team Advil, the advertisers, enter the word headache, and then see all the people that were talking about having a headache. People that in the last couple minutes said, I have a terrible headache. Or somebody would say, somebody send me a sledgehammer. My head is pounding me. The fact that Advil can publicly at reply that person and say something like, 
Hey Jillian, I work for Advil and saw you have a headache. Sorry to hear it. I'd love to send you a bottle of our product. DM me back with your address if you're interested. Most people would jump at that opportunity to get free Advil. And it would make Advil much more human. And it would make them care more. And it would create an enormous intimate and personal relationship between brand and consumer. If I do a search right now, I can find that in the last 15 minutes, 30 people have said they're thirsty. This is a golden opportunity for someone in the sports drink business or the bottled water business or heck, the wine business. But how do you avoid annoying people or worse, sounding like spam? Everybody has a different idea of what's annoying. I don't mind hearing from somebody interested in sending me free stuff that I can actually use. And remember, the only way that you, the content provider, can contact anyone is if they choose to follow you. You cannot DM, which stands for direct message them otherwise. It's the equivalent of extending your hand and allowing someone to choose whether or not to shake your hand. You also want to pitch your message in a very proactive, cool way. You're not telling Jillian to go buy your stuff. You're giving her a chance to try it. You're also not hiding your affiliation with your company. If someone chooses to follow you, they'll see on your profile that you are a manager of the Advil brand. If you stay above board, honest, most people will be willing to listen to what you have to say about your product. But the second you DM someone and they decide you sound slimy, they will unfollow you. Their bullshit detector is better than any spam filter you've ever seen. Don't betray their trust. If your blog is your home, Platforms like Twitter and Facebook are your vacation homes. You can't do long-form content on these sites. Well, you can, but it's not really recommended in my opinion. And you need some place that is a free place to do business where people don't have to be members to see you. Your content permanently resides on your blog, and you use these platforms to distribute your brand and bring eyes back to your home. When the book became available for pre-sale, I used both Twitter and Facebook to bring eyes back to my blog and crucially to convert my call to action buttons into brand building opportunities. Here's how. I posted a video on my blog excitedly making the announcement. I talked about what the book is about and why it means so much to me. Along with the expected links to Barnes and Noble and Amazon, I included a line that said, pass this book onto your friends with links to Twitter and Facebook below. If you chose Twitter, you found a pre-written tweet to send out that included link back to my blog and in particular the video announcing the book. If you chose Facebook, you came upon a message box where you could write a post, then update your page with a link to my blog attached. By the way, I'm gonna veer off for a second. These are massively crucial, crucial tactics. Word of mouth is on steroids. Word of mouth is the game now. And word of mouth is how you build businesses. Word of mouth is how your grandparents built business. Word of mouth is how every restaurant, every brand has built business. And using and populating these word of mouth tools like Facebook and Twitter can really extend your brand and your story. In addition, I included a button on my blog that said support Gary's book, which led you to a new page in which I thank you for your interest and provided a widget for the book that you could add to your own website or blog. That page also included the links to Twitter and Facebook and, as always, my email address. Though, as you can tell, I'm a huge fan of Twitter and Facebook, they are becoming household names and the competition there is already pretty fierce. So I'm considering a new strategy. Why not explore some of the other Facebook-like sites, even though they have fewer fish in the pond? 
True, the ponds are smaller, but their banks aren't swimming with other fishermen either, which means you have a much better chance of walking away with a hefty catch. Some sites that I'm watching closely are the following. Plaxo, which is a professional site, which I haven't delved into just as of yet, but is a big one for me in 2010. High Five, another social network that's much bigger than people recognize. Bebo, which is huge in the UK and the third biggest social network behind Facebook and MySpace. FriendFeed, which is now bought by Facebook, by the way, since I originally wrote the book, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Facebook integrates the FriendFeed features. As we all know, they probably bought the company, though, for the talent. Orkut, which is Google-owned, kind of fading away, but is huge in Brazil, and so if you're trying to hit that market, it's important you follow that site. Flickr. Flickr's really interesting. It's a photo site. I'm going to get into it in a second, but let me add a couple of other things. LinkedIn, which I completely did not talk about in my book when I wrote it and came out in print in October, and you guys are getting the advantage of listening to this and hearing this. I think LinkedIn is making a fierce comeback. I actually never really even used it. A lot of people in a different demo, a more professional demo, have been using it solely. I really think as they open up their API and as they're integrating more and some of the new blood in that company, I'm going to be very intrigued to watch LinkedIn in 2010 and I'm making a big effort to use it heavily. Flickr is a photo sharing site and is definitely a pond worth fishing in. It has a ton of passionate users, though I'm not one of them for the sole reason that photos don't really speak to my DNA. They do though for a lot of other people. Any platform that has loads of search capabilities is an important place to find market opportunities, and there are millions of people searching Flickr. As with all content, you work the content on this site in two ways. You can post photographs so that when people click on them, they find out who you are and they follow you back, or it links directly back to your blog, or you can click on other people's photos, leave comments that will intrigue people to then look at your stuff and link back to you. If your passion is something that photographs well, like birds or jewelry or hairstyling or interior design, it's a place where you can do a lot of damage. If I throw a wine party, I can post pictures of the event, which could pique someone's interest. Or I can put up a label on every wine I've ever discussed on my show and could conceivably draw a lot more traffic to my blog. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, it's insane that I haven't done that. And that's what I said back in October, and I'm starting to do more of it with uh, Kay Murph from Wine Library coming and taking pictures while I do the show, but I'm going to take it even further and do the labels in 2010. See, I'm getting pumped myself reading this thing. Anyone who cares about wine should be able to find me on Flickr, so I better get on that. I admire Moo, Moo.com, M-O-O.com, because they have used Flickr and Facebook to reinvent an old, tired product. They're in the business card business, notes and stickers. Customers can use their own photos or upload images from any of the Moo Partner sites. You can even print a different image on every business card within a single pack, allowing you to let people choose their favorite one and creating a ready-made conversation piece around your brand. It goes to show you that any product can be huge when approached from a new angle. What I like about Moo is they really went in and owned the social media crowd. They went to a lot of conferences. They gave away a lot of free business cards. This is something a lot of people can learn in traditional business. You could become the brand within the social media sphere by going to the conferences. So if you're a soda or a coffee or a t-shirt company, you know, pens, I mean, you, anything, you can kind of own that niche and that niche 
as it's really called, is very interesting because the users of that space have big social mouths. They're using Facebook and Twitter already, so they're going to spread your message more so than an influential Wall Street crowd, which is going to stay within their confines. Think about that. YouTube and or Viddler. These are both video platforms that I use and like. YouTube is like an ocean. It's huge. You go out in it, and you can come home with a boatload of fish. But you're also competing against millions of fishermen. Viddler is much smaller, which allows you to see and be seen with greater ease. It also allows you to brand your player so that anyone who watches the video sees your logo on the bottom, which I think has enormous value, especially when people embed your video in different places. If you use YouTube... The YouTube logo appears at the bottom of all their videos. So that's where it gets really interesting to me. Viddler also allows you to tag your videos, which means you can earmark important moments for your viewers by placing a little dot within your video stream linked to any keyword, allowing for an easier search situation. Plus, if somebody wants to find a specific and particular spot in your video, they don't have to sit throughout the whole thing. For example, I do a 30-minute wine show and discuss three wines. If you're interested in the third wine, you can go straight to that segment of the video because I'll have it marked and you don't have to bounce around and click and guess. You can just go exactly where you want to go. This was a huge reason why I switched to Viddler very early on in my career. In hindsight, I still think YouTube has such a powerful presence and there's so many people in that space that you can't overlook it. But I do love the niche aspects of Viddler. Clearly, YouTube has a larger user base, which can definitely be an advantage. You can embed from either site, which is easy to do by copying and pasting the embedded code. I do give Viddler enthusiastic thumbs up for the way it takes care of its users. Have you ever wondered how a certain video gets featured on its home site? YouTube is huge and so swamped with video submissions that featured videos are usually a result of random luck, a lot of back-end biz development, and inside deals. Because Viddler is smaller, however, their staff is quickly able to assess new talent on their network and support that talent by featuring it on their homepage. Viddler doesn't wait for you to make it big. They'll give you a shot for a day or two if they think you're good enough. They're great at identifying talent early on. Ustream.tv There is no way to overstate the importance of Ustream, one of the biggest brand-building products that I've used. It's a platform that allows you to launch live video, but the cool part is that there is a chat function which allows you to interact with your audience in real time, much like radio call-in shows. How does the content you post on Ustream differ from what you post on your video blog if that's your preferred medium? Think of your blog as a formal presentation, a prepared speech about a predetermined topic in which you control the message and all the content. Once you've said your piece, you're done. If anyone wishes to challenge you or ask for a clarification or a comment, they certainly can, but some time will pass before they get their answer. By the time you get back to them, you may have to remind them what they asked for in the first place. If you decide to address their question in a follow-up video, you have to hope that they'll come back and hear what you have to say. Ustream, on the other hand, allows you to talk about your brand the way you might do at a cocktail party which allows you to kind of work the room and find out what's on everybody's mind. By responding to the chats while you're live streaming, you can establish the most powerful and empowering interactive brand experience any customer has ever known. Even live television can't provide this kind of immediacy. It's so sticky. People love to know that they can come in and talk one-on-one. Best of all, it costs you nothing. 
Ustream is another classic example of the internet platforms that cost the brand and a product nothing to use, yet provides amazing return on its investment. I'm going totally off script right now because I'm freaking pumped because here's the bottom line. Ustream to me is quickly becoming my number one platform. Not Twitter, not Facebook, Ustream. Why? Because I go in there and I riff and I'm hanging and I'm chilling with my friends and more importantly, almost always, three to 400 people show up immediately. That's right, I snap my fingers. Immediately, three to 400 people are in there and I'm talking and I'm bouncing ideas off them and I'm doing Q&A. It allows me to really get intimate with people and my big goal for 2010 is to do a daily Ustream show. I've been thinking about a show called Tea with Gary V, where I do like a morning show and we like read the posts from like TechCrunch and TechMeme and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and kind of talk about what's current event driven. I just find it very fascinating that this live interaction of Ustream has quickly become the best tool in my toolbox and I think many people are underestimating it. Most people don't understand it. Most people can't do it because it's kind of hard going live and then reading the chat that's coming at you at 100 miles a minute. But the fact of the matter is if you can pull it off, if you feel like you know your subject well enough to riff and not be prepared like I do, which is like, why I dominate the keynote circuit because I just go up there and riff and I'm not scared because I'm living it. When you live your subject matter, when you know it cold and you don't need to go to Wikipedia or read you know, a book before you go and give your presentation or make PowerPoints to lead you, when you know it, when you know it best, then you really have the best chance of dominating and that is why Ustream is so powerful because there's no buffer. You're live, they're watching you and they're asking you questions and you can't dodge them and you've gotta show your chops and if you've got chops, this is a platform you wanna be a part of. Natasha Westcote is an artist known for her candied landscapes and whimsical characters. She is rising in popularity as a result of using social media tools to connect to her audience and engage with her collectors and potential buyers. As a result, her business has grown 50% in six months and her business network 80%. In addition to Twitter, she uses Ustream.tv to live stream her paintings in the studio. It began as an experiment, but within a week, she had viewers buying directly from her live online video. Since then, she has used it as a tool for studio sales and auctions. By allowing viewers to watch her create something, it inspires them to buy it directly, then and there. I'm riffing off again, I'm on a roll here. I just got one thing for you to think about. One thing to say, QVC. Word of mouth power moves. There are a few additional tools that can add to real boosts in your word of mouth potential. Here they are. Just as it would be a shame to decide that Chardonnay is your favorite wine when you've hardly tried any other varietal, you should try every platform to see which ones work best for you. Now, when I was just getting started, Chris Mott, my camera guy, had to spend hours every night individually loading the blog onto every single platform we were using. Luckily, there are now two sites that are doing this service a lot easier. Ping.fm, P-I-N-G dot F-M is a service that allows you to post a limited amount of text, such as status update one time, and then automatically distribute the updates to any of over 30 social networks, including Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Flickr, WordPress, Jaiku, FriendFeed, MySpace, and Delicious. Currently, the service does not allow for video, but according to that site, it's coming soon. If you're a video blogger, you must have a TubeMogul account. 
It's a website that allows you to upload your video once and then it distributes it across countless video sharing sites for free. It's also a tracking service and offers analytics about who's watching your videos, when and what sites, and how often. I should also riff off real quick and say that blip.tv, B-L-I-P.tv is also really starting to get in this space and doing an amazing job. Analytics. I use analytics very rarely, and I urge you not to rely too much on them early on especially. If you have really good business instincts, you're not gonna need them. A lot of the times, the stats and percentages related to my business just don't support what my instincts are saying and what I think is true. And I'll trust my gut over numbers any day. What if your analytics tell you that you've only had seven views on break.com in two months? Are you gonna stop posting to that platform? The data are telling you that you should probably drop it. But what you don't know is that one of the seven viewers is the producer of the Today Show. There's no reason to think that can't happen. The numbers can be a trap that changes your behavior. People see they've only gotten 50 viewers in a few weeks and decided they suck and they stop trying as hard. Or their video catches on and gets watched a thousand times and they think they've made it and they stop trying as hard. Metrics can be useful, of course, but the effect of your online interactions and the excitement building toward your brand isn't accurately reflected by the number of viewers you have. It's not about how many viewers you have, it's about how passionate they are. If you must use them, analytics should remain a minor league detail. Focus the majority of your attention on your overall brand positioning. I'm gonna riff off here a little bit, and I feel like this is one of the great missed opportunities in Crush It. I should've went deeper into this. I think analytics are important. I know that's how you sell things. I know that's how big brands in corporate America work, and I get it. But I'm telling you, it is an absolutely scary pitfall for so many people. They see poor stats, they don't see growth, they see something's going stagnant, and they completely lose focus. They get numbers driven, and it veers you off. I promise you, if you feel it, if you've got good interactions, if you've got great relationships, you're heading in the right direction. Way, way too many people are being crippled by stats, and they really allow them to define the project. It's devastating to me. And please, and this is the big one, don't look at stats for the first year. Put your head down, grow a beard, a playoff beard, shut your mouth, get to work, don't look at stats, because they're gonna hurt you. Facebook Connect is a service that allows new users of your site to skip the long process of registering their personal information. How many hundreds of times have you filled out the boxes asking for your name, address, password, and so on by now by pulling it from their Facebook page? It will also allow Facebook profile data to save them the slog of having to fill out yet again all of the personal information onto the new site. So Facebook Connect is a huge time saver for the viewers. In addition, when Facebook member clicks Connect with Facebook, an announcement will be sent out to his or her friends. Facebook's newsfeed on his or her wall will show that the user is now a user of your site. By now you should know why that's a good thing. People with similar tastes to your new users see the newsfeed and say, hmm, what's that? And then come and see for themselves. If you're telling a story well and putting out awesome content, there's no reason they won't return and bring more friends and then on and on and on and that becomes a process you wanna be a part of. We're gonna see a lot more Facebook Connect in the future. It allows such quick interaction and site building that it has the potential to become an omnipresent and necessary as your cell phone and email account.
I'm gonna veer off real quick for two seconds. I truly believe that Facebook's well on its way to becoming the driver's license. And through Facebook Connect, we are gonna know everybody's identity, no more hiding. And once Facebook wins that game, once they become the driver's license, it's very easy to become the credit card. Once Facebook becomes the wallet, in my opinion, they will become the most valuable website on the internet. For a comprehensive list of many more tools and applications, go to somewhatfrank.com, somewhatfrank.com, and search social media. Also, check out the following blogs, techcrunch.com, readwriteweb.com, gigaom, G-I-G-A-O-M.com, socialtimes.com, Engadget, E-N-G-A-D-G-E-T.com, and a great site, TechMeme, T-E-C-H-M-E-M-E, kind of aggregates all this content in one place. Differentiate yourself. Everything we've talked about in this audiobook so far, passion, knowing yourself, personal branding, word of mouth, has always been important to every successful business in history. These social network sites have only changed the game by giving entrepreneurs a reason to ditch the sinking traditional media and advertising platforms in favor of communication methods that open up the markets that would have never been accessible to them and completely has changed the game in just a few short years. The thing is, just having a presence on these platforms doesn't get you any further ahead of the competition because most entrepreneurs are getting wise to the need of having a Facebook or Twitter account, not to mention all the other platforms we've discussed. So how are you going to differentiate yourself from all these other clowns? Of course, clowns in the best way. We don't want to diss anybody. You know, just getting competitive now. You're going to do your content better, that's how. And you're going to do it your way, using the tools we just discussed. Vitamins can give your body a real boost, but they won't do you much good if you don't incorporate exercise, proper nutrition, and even vaccines into your healthy habits. The same goes for these platforms, people. Each one individually gives your personal brand strength and reach, but if you use them together properly, they can turn you into a force to be reckoned with. The other thing you're going to do is accept that just having good content and internet access is not enough to take your business to the top. There are a lot of people who have good content and everyone has the same access to the same tools. What they don't have, though they may think they do, and what we'll talk about in the next chapter makes all the difference. After all, lots of people can play the piano, but not everyone is Billy Joel. Chapter 7. Keep it real. Very real. Authenticity. We've talked about paying attention to your DNA, but while the concept of authenticity is closely related, it's not the same. Your DNA dictates your passion, whatever it is you were born to do. Being authentic and being perceived as such by your audience relies on your ability to ensure that every decision you make when it comes to business is rooted in being true to yourself. You may want to rewind that part. It was that important. For example, I would love to change the opening to my show. It starts off the same almost every time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wine Library TV. I am your host, Gary Vayner Chuck, and this, my friends, is The Thunder Show, a.k.a. the Internet's most passionate wine program. You see, it's not exactly what some wine lovers were looking for from a wine expert. I lose about 12% of my viewers right off the bat because I yell and scream like a maniac. 
for a business guy like me, that number is not even digestible. It's devastating. I desperately want to change the opening of my show to do something a little more calm, a little more refined, something that won't scare people away. Not like something completely not me, but you know, just a hair chill. You know what I mean? But I can't. Because the yelling and screaming, that super excited guy, that's me. If I try to tone things down and make myself appealing to that 12%, I can guarantee that everything I've built up to now would start slipping away. Because now, every time I'd go in front of the flip cam or the camera, I'd be putting on an act. I'm not putting on a performance when I do my show. I'm just being me. Invest in important stuff. One of the silliest and most ridiculous questions I get, hey Gary, what mic do you use? To that I reply, why are you even worrying about that? Your content has nothing to do with the mic, the camera, the lighting, or the set. The day I filmed my first Thunder show, I sent a stock boy out to buy a $400 camera from Best Buy. Now I use a fancy uh, Sony camera, so it is a little bit more expensive. That being said, more and more of my shows lately are being done on a flip cam, which costs 150 bones. Watch the show, and what do you see? It's me. It's sometimes me and my dad, or a guest like Wayne Gretzky or Jim Cramer. It's a bunch of bottles on my table and a jet spit bucket. I only invest in effort and thoughts of what I need to do to create great content, because at the end of the day, that is the differentiator. That is the sauce that wins the game. My business blog, GaryVaynerchuk.com, is even less dressed up. A lot of times I'm filming in my office, which is usually a mess. I can clean up my office and make it look more professional and polished, but it just seems wrong. There's no reason to change it just because the flip cam is running. There's nothing scripted and nothing staged about my blog, and I always, always do it in one take. No redos, no tweaks. If somebody walks into my office, then that's fine. If somebody's walking by, I'll wave at them. Whatever happens during my taping, the audience will see. If I sneeze, crap. If I fart, it doesn't matter. It's got to be completely real. I filmed posts from balconies, hotel rooms, the street, even the editor of my book's office. Anywhere the idea strikes me, I am going to film. Sometimes the sound quality sucks. Sometimes, not sometimes, almost always the lighting is awful. But as long as my point gets across to my audience and it's done in an authentic way and it's real and I drill it, well then I don't care. Once upon a time, the most popular celebrities were boxed up in such a slick, sleek package that it was almost impossible to get a feel for who they really were. Every move was choreographed, even their love lives. And even when they hit the red carpet, they were red carpet ready. Those days are long gone, or at least starting to substantially slip away. The celebrities of today, the ones who are making a huge impact by connecting with their fans, whether on screen or online, are all about keeping it real and being themselves. No matter how big or small you want to go, your authenticity will be the root of your appeal and is what will keep people coming back to your site and spreading the word about your personal brand, service, or whatever else you're offering. If you want to dominate the social media game, All of your effort has to come from the heart. And it can't come from the heart in the passionate, irrational, wholehearted way it needs to if you're trying to be anyone but yourself. Authenticity is what will make it possible for you to put in that kind of hustle that's necessary to crush it. Going off the script, I think that Chad Ochocinco from the Cincinnati Bengals is playing it perfectly. He's being real. He's being vulnerable. And those things are valuable and just authentic and have dramatically made him more popular across the country. We're seeing a lot more other 
brands and people going this route as well, and it's working for them because they're real. They're not puppets. Hustle. I've said it over and over that if you live your passion and work the social networking tools to the max, opportunities to monetize will present themselves. I've also said that in order to crush it, you have to be sure your content is the best in its category, or at least extremely good. You can still make plenty of money if you're the fourth best in a category, or ninth best, but if you really want to dominate the competition and make big bucks, you're going to have to be the best. Do that, be that, and nobody will be able to reach you. With one exception. Somebody with less passion and talent and poor content can totally beat you if they're willing to work longer and harder than you are. Hustle is it. Without it, you should just pack up your toys and go home. Just veering off into a sports reference, look at all the number one and number two picks. You know, Ryan Leaf, Achilles Smith, you know, Blair Thomas. You know, these guys would be the best players in football because they had the most talent, but their work ethic sucked and they got outplayed and that's the bottom line. They got outworked is what they really did. And so hard work is gonna have to be a cornerstone of your success. Now I'm betting that most people who pick up this book consider themselves hard workers. Many are probably just sick of the killer hours and inflexible schedules and demanding bosses often found in the corporate world and think entrepreneurship will somehow be less taxing. I hate to disappoint you, but if you're looking for an easier time here, you are barking up the wrong tree. There might be a little more flexibility to your day should you be at liberty to devote yourself full-time to building your personal brand, but otherwise, assuming you're doing this right, you'll be bleeding out of your eyeballs at your computer. You might have thought your old boss was bad, but if you want your business to go anywhere, your new boss had better be a slave driver. Too many people don't want to swallow the pill of working every day, every chance they get. If you're making money through social media, you don't get to work for three or four hours and play Nintendo for the rest of the day. That is lip service to hard work. No one makes millions of dollars with minimal effort unless they win the lotto. The cool thing about hustle, though, is it's one more thing that equalizes the playing field. Fifteen years ago, you could have a rock-solid idea of your DNA and your passion, but there was a billion-to-one chance you'd actually be crushing it in that business. The platforms and channels were just too narrow and guarded by some pretty tight gatekeepers. Now, what we can take advantage of is the explosion of tremendous and free digital platforms of the internet, which are also making the gatekeepers more and more irrelevant. And now it's no longer a special interest story if you make it big without family connections or money or an education because anyone and everyone can do it. The only differentiator in the game is your passion and your hustle. Don't ever look at someone else who has more capital or cred than you and think you shouldn't bother to compete. You may only have a couple hundred thousand dollars or less and your biggest competitor may have a $50 million business. But if you can outwork him or her and have a great idea, you will win over time. Anything insane has a price. If you're serious about building your personal brand, there will be no more time for the Wii. No more time for Scrabble or Book Club or Poker Night or watching hockey. There will be time for meals, catching up with your significant others, playing with the kids. Otherwise, you will be in front of your computer until 2 or 3 a.m. every night. If you're unemployed or retired and have all day to work, maybe you can knock off at midnight instead. Expect this to be all-consuming. 
The thing is, if you're living your passion, you're gonna wanna be consumed by your work. There's no room for relaxation or flopping on the couch with some popcorn to watch TV kind of thing. You know, you're not going to be stressed or tired. You're going to be relaxed and pumped. The passion and love for what you do will enable you to work the ridiculous amount of hours that are necessary. You're gonna lose track of time. Go to bed reluctantly and wake up in the morning excited to do it all over again. You'll be living and breathing your content, learning everything you can about your subject, the tools, your competition, and talking nonstop to other people that are interested in the same thing. As hard as you're gonna push yourself, don't plan on seeing results right away. I'd say that this leads us to the number of issues tripping up people that are otherwise savvy entrepreneurs in building their brand online. Patience. 90% of the people I hear from are in complaint mode. Usually to the tune of, I'm working so hard and I'm crushing it and nothing happens. Gary, what gives? So I ask, how long have you been doing this? And they'll usually answer me and say something like, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks, a month. You don't build businesses in six weeks, six months. You know what? Not even six years sometimes. If you contact me within a year of starting your business to complain that you haven't made it yet, like you thought you would, I promise you I'm deleting your email. I'm not gonna listen. I said that you could make a ton of money and be happy. I didn't say it was gonna happen overnight. People listen to me talk about what it takes to monetize their personal brand and sometimes I think they filter out the parts they don't wanna hear. They think, I've got the passion, I can do the hustle like nobody else. Patience? Ah, I'm gonna leave that to the other guys. Those guys are suckers. I'm gonna work smarter. But patience is the secret sauce. Once you put up your site, you don't wanna start and stop and backtrack and second guess. It'll make you look insecure and foolish. If you're patient, you'll be more likely to plan and prepare to make sure everything is in place before making the big moves that are gonna monetize your brand to the fullest. Everyone makes a big deal that it only took 18 months for me to land on Conan O'Brien after launching Wine Library TV. I started taping episodes back in 06, back before most people were even watching videos online. I'm sure if I started a blog today, now that more people have iPhones and are watching videos online, it would even take me less time to get on everybody's radar. Yet, as fast as the results seem to have happened, I can assure you that the whole process took a hell of a lot more time. You'll recall that I was only 16 when I started working the floor at Shoppers Discount Liquors, selling wine to customers, which meant that I still couldn't even drink the stuff. I knew, though, that appreciating wine and therefore being able to sell it and discussing it confidently meant developing a great palate. I read all the tasting notes in the Wine Spectator and started learning to identify flavors of things that I could easily find at ShopRite or Whole Foods or Kings, like pears and papayas, cherries and chocolate, blackberries. But I didn't stop there, though. I got more exotic. I started tasting things like cassis and black raspberries, starfruit. I recently even discovered goji berries. Good stuff, by the way. But there was more. Critics noted hints of cigar, dirt, and even sweaty socks in wine. I knew they were guessing. There was no way they'd sucked a sweaty sock. And I thought, well, if I'm going to say something like sweaty sock, shouldn't I know what it tastes like? So I gave myself an education. By the time I was 21, I had an incredibly developed palate, even though I hadn't drunk much wine at all. When I started developing the idea of building Wine Library TV, and later GaryVaynerchuk.com, I knew that I would have to use the same kind of patience and methodology to learn the social media business as I did the wine business. It was patience that helped me grow Wine Library. I was 22 years old and running a $10 million business. I did it with good old-fashioned hustle. Every customer who walked through the door got monetized to the fullest. 
If they walked in for one bottle, they usually walked out with three. And I was being paid 27,000 a year. Most young people that took a business from four to 10 million would feel like they deserved a watch, a car, a cool apartment, as rewards for their savviness and hard work. Get over that. You come last. Before you invest in yourself, you have to invest in your long-term future. That means your profits should funnel right back into research, your content, your staff, all that. The sooner you start cashing in, the shorter the window you have to which to cement your success. So hold off as long as you can. This is why, as ambitious and thirsty as I was for mega success as a business developer, I did not make a peep anywhere in the first year and a half that I was airing the show. I didn't try to make one biz dev deal. I probably could have made some success had I jumped the gun. But by remaining patient and making sure I knew exactly what I was doing, I was able to avoid taking any steps backwards once the speaking engagements, consulting opportunities, and advertisers started showing up. How did someone like me, who is so obviously not a patient guy, cool my heels for so long? Because I was 100% happy. I loved what I was doing. I knew down to my core that my business was going to explode. But even if it had fallen flat on my face, I would have no regrets because what I was doing was exactly what I wanted to do, the way I wanted to do it. And more importantly, I was learning. I was doing it for the process. I knew that online video was gonna be big, and even if the show wasn't huge, I was gonna learn a lot. And the education in doing it is massive. Now, do you get why it's so important to center your business around your passion? If you enter a niche because you're following the dollars, you won't keep up. It's too much work and you'll get tired and frustrated and eventually fold. You have to think about building your brand in terms of a marathon. It's not a sprint. It will take long to see results, but in seven or nine or 15 years, you won't crack because you love what you're doing. What exactly are you going to be doing that's going to be so time and labor intensive You'll be studying your topic, researching your platforms, drafting your blog posts, doing whatever it takes to become the foremost expert and personal brand in your field. But most of all, you will be creating a community. Chapter eight, create community, digging your internet trench. A lot of people get wrapped up in designing their blogs and writing or taping their content. But creating your content is the easy part. Of course your product should be as good as it can be, but it should also be the least time-consuming element of your whole endeavor. What you do after you tape your show or write your blog is the whole game. Creating community, that's where the bulk of your hustle is going to go, and that's where your bulk success will come from. I'm gonna veer off the script. This is the part of the audiobook that you need to pay attention. So kick the kids out of the room, pull over for the fourth time, depending on how you're listening to this, pour yourself a nice glass of wine or an awesome bottle of root beer because we're about to get into the real differentiator, the real piece that really separates the men from the boys. And I really hope you grasp this part because this is the part most people don't want to do. This is the part that most people don't like, but this is by far the part that wins the game. Creating community is all about starting conversations. When you move into a new house, you meet your neighbors by going out in the evenings and shaking hands with people, walking their dogs, or taking their runs, 
complimenting people on their gardens, introducing your kids if you notice the family playing in the yard has children at the same age. If you're going to a conference, you meet your fellow attendees by introducing yourself and shaking hands with everyone else who's milling around. You trade anecdotes and information, hand out your business card. Creating community online works exactly the same way. To create an audience for your personal brand, you're going to have to get out there, shake hands, and join every single conversation already in play around your topic. Every single one. Jared Montz is a retired professional soccer player who relies heavily on just about every platform we've discussed in this book to build his brand, America's first online soccer academy, jmsoccer10.com. Though he barely understood Facebook and didn't have a Twitter account when he started, he now considers them his biggest assets, using them to build a community of soccer fans and friends, draw traffic to his site, and alert followers whenever he posts a new blog, video, or podcast. That's right, he uses all three. He says, I go to bed at 3 a.m. and wake up at 6 a.m. and spend hours commenting and talking with other people about soccer. Not selling them my stuff, but talking about soccer. They will find out what I do on their own without me spamming them. His equipment, a laptop, his fiance's six-year-old camera, a tripod, and his iPhone. Is he crushing it? In his own words, I'm having a blast. It's fun to meet people and players no matter what, but business-wise, the potential is just scary. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but if you love it, then it's all worth it. Every subject, no matter how small, has an internet trench. You need to find it. Googling is a great way to start. Every night after taping an episode of my show, I'd spend the next eight or nine hours on the internet wine trenches, digging up as much information as possible about who was talking about wine and wine-related subjects and products, what they were saying, where they were going, what they were reading, what they are drinking, what they were buying, and who they were slamming. And then I'd start reaching out. At a certain point, your business will start gaining eyeballs and your community focus will change. Whereas at this point, you're initiating contact with anyone who might have an interest in your passion. Later, you will spend these late night hours responding to people who are responding to you, sending you emails, tweets, Facebook status updates. Building and sustaining community is a never ending part of doing this business. I would read hundreds of blog posts and leave comments on many of them. I'd spend time on wine forums, read what other people had to say, and then leave comments on those comments. You're going to be doing exactly the same thing. Here's how. First, create your blog post and distribute it through TubeMogul or PingFM. This way, your content appears up in every social network platform you've established. We talked about that earlier. Next, start paying attention to other people's content. You're going to use the tools we discussed in the last chapter, like Twitter search, to seek out every mention of your topic on the internet and you're going to comment on every single blog and forum post and tweet you can find. Now, you're not going to say something just for the sake of saying something. You're an expert, right? You love your topic, and you've been doing the research. So leave expert, intriguing, thoughtful, provocative, intelligent comments with your name that links back to your blog. Last, you're going to capture. If you're as good as you should be when you're talking about your passion, people are going to be intrigued by what you have to say. Even if they don't follow you immediately, if they see you appear on their site often enough, they may get curious enough to follow you back, back to your blog, and that's when you've got them. You know how to solidify your fan base. Pay attention to them. 
I've picked up the phone to talk to people when it seemed warranted or appropriate. The chalkboard behind me during my first video blog episodes were for hardcore fans. Whatever appeared there was a message or an inside joke just for them. Little gestures like that, like, hey, I'm seeing you and I appreciate you, is an enormous value. Capture. You just brought someone who's interested in your topic to your blog on the devoted topic. What you do now is exactly the same as I used to do when somebody walked through the store looking for a bottle of wine. I'd send them home with two cases. You monetize the heck out of every interaction. In this case, you're not giving people something to drink. You're giving them something to think about and ultimately talk about. If your content is smart and interesting and eye-catching and entertaining, if you're the best, it should be that most people who come to your blog will be happy regular readers, viewers, or listeners. Make it easy for them. We covered the importance of user interface and call to action buttons in chapter six. Call to action buttons include, this is where you might want to write something down, it gets important here, subscribe. It allows people to opt in and get an email every time you post a blog. Follow me. It keeps viewers apprised of your tweets and status updates. Join my fan page. Announces to the viewer's newsfeed that they think enough of you to be a fan and helps put your site on other people's radars. Share. Makes it easy for viewers to post a link to Facebook, MySpace, etc. Tweet this. Allows them to scale by putting a tweet out about your stuff. Email this. Allows people to email that post to friends. Your long-term goal is to get sticky and create more and more opportunities to communicate. Your audience joins your fan page. They comment on your blog. They tweet your posts. And slowly but surely, their friends take notice and start doing the same. And their friends take notice. And suddenly, your little community of one episode is a major player in the space. The power of one. How do you know when you've built a community? When one person is listening. Wine Library TV had five viewers at first, and I was thrilled to have them. Don't get obsessed with how many friends or fans are following you. The stats are only marginally important. What's important is the intensity of your community's engagement and interaction with you. At this point, the quality of the conversation is much more revealing than the number of people having it. If your content is making people talk enough so they start to make some noise, I guarantee you're going to see more people show up to your party. As long as you're seeing your audience grow, even modestly, over the first four to five months, you're doing what you're supposed to be. The day you see that one person is reading or watching or listening to you is the day to celebrate. It's an amazing thing to know someone gives a crap about what you've got going on in your mind, in your world, in your life. Don't take people for granted. The power of this new word of mouth game that we're in is that one interested person has unbelievable reach. Believe me, one day you'll miss your very small, intimate community where you could carry a substantial conversation and get to know people really well. I know I do, but I still get in there daily. And I still try. But I do want to give a huge shout out to the original Vaniacs like Kahuna and Tim F, Italian Stallion, Tampa Steve, NY Pete, Barbados, and on and on and on. You guys really mean a lot to me, and I thank you so much. Next steps. Now that you have a community, you've got some place to put a killer marketing strategy into play. The one I use is the best in the world and has never failed me and is the next chapter. 
Chapter nine, the best marketing strategy ever. Are you guys ready? Are you ready for this? Because here it comes. The greatest marketing strategy ever. Chapter nine, the chapter I've been most emailed about since this book came out in October. You ready? Here it is. Let's get into the chapter. Care. That's it. We're moving on to chapter 10. The greatest marketing strategy ever is care. If you care about your audience, you will never, ever lose. Not bullshit caring, real caring. Actually really, really caring. Going the extra mile, going the extra 40 miles. Having a real relationship with your audience. That is 1,000% the game. Chapter 10, make the world listen. Any topic can be turned into a profitable, sustainable, social media-driven business. Let's see how we can pull together all the tools and concepts we've discussed so far and build a business around it, something that's fun and exciting. Let's try accounting. Let's say you start on Monday. So on Monday, the first day of the rest of your life, you'll be doing the following. You will go to GoDaddy, and you will try to buy your name as in timsocks.com or sallymcgee.com or garyvaynerchuk.com. If it is not available, try to buy the .tv. Now, I got lucky. My name is Gary Vaynerchuk. But you might be Robert Smith. Sorry, CPA Robert Smith. You're screwed. Obviously, somebody owns robertsmith.com and maybe even robertsmithcpa.com. Now, it's time to get a little creative. How about bobthebudgetman.tv if you can't come up with anything appropriate then you've got to really think about this and brainstorm but I'm telling you right now owningyourname.com is the biggest and most important thing you can do and if you want to build a personal brand and it's available to buy off somebody then you've got to do that it's that important buy both .com and .tv if possible because you never know if you're going to need them both and there's no obligation to launch them both While you're at it, buy the domain names for your children if you can. In addition, note that every time you hear about a new platform that looks like it's going to go mainstream, make sure you register your name, like twitter.com slash Gary Vaynerchuk or facebook.com slash Gary Vaynerchuk. Speaking of which, I am facebook.com slash Gary, G-A-R-Y, so please hit me up and say hello. I see no other reasons to buy any of the other extensions like .org or .ca or .me, but I could be mistaken. For the most part, almost every piece of advice I give you here, if your instincts tell you that I'm wrong, then go out and prove me wrong. And when you did, email me. Because this isn't a situation where I want to preach to you. This is a situation where I want to articulate to you what I've lived. You know, I'm not a social media expert. I've gone out and done this. I've built businesses on this. So I'm going from experience. I don't talk about things in theory or I think things are going to happen. I talk about things after I've already done them. So please, if you feel like some of these things are wrong, you listen to yourself, not me. Next, start a WordPress or Tumblr account. This is the blog that is going to host the domain you just bought. Next, and this is big, hire a web designer. I know, I know, I said the production value has no value. However, this is the exception. Having navigated a million bad designs on the internet, I've come to the conclusion that hiring a designer to make sure that you've got 
excellent user interface in the form of properly placed links and buttons is a worthwhile investment. This is the one place where I'm telling you to spend money. You want to create content from a home base and all the networks are going to be doing is getting you new customers into your quote-unquote store. If this does not look nice and the store and the products are not properly shelved or displays are not in the right spots, you will not convert no matter how hard you hustle or sweat. Imagine spending nine hours promoting this new store. And again, I'm using store as your blog. Opening it and then thousands of people showing up and ready to buy something, but sales sucked. It's because your design was not on point. A service like this will cost you between $1,000 and $5,000. But if you're on a budget, don't sweat it. Don't put off launching your site because you can't afford a designer. Start for free and customize later, especially if you're doing WordPress. There are enormous WordPress themes out there that are amazing. I still think a professional designer will give you a better look and feel, but the WordPress themes are really good. Next, if you're filming a video blog, buy a flip cam. Something small and light, preferably the Mino HD or something like that. It's really simple. There's a lot of great stuff. I know Codex got some good stuff. Create a Facebook fan page. Create a Twitter account. If you're doing video, create a TubeMogul account. And if you're doing a written blog, get a Ping FM account. Start pumping out content. Let's say you're charismatic and have good screen presence and decided to do a series of video blogs of fun facts for the CPA. Every night you post a video of yourself explaining tax rules in your unique, informative, entertaining way, educating your audience yet also revealing why you are passionate about what some may think is a dry and extremely boring subject. Talk about whatever you like as long as it doesn't get you in trouble with your parent company. For example, explain the recent change in the presidential administration and how it may affect the ordinary taxpayer. What really happens if a person misses the April 15th deadline? What strategic financial issues should a small company consider before deciding to grow? Put as much content out there as you can. There are people in your field who will hate you because you'll be offering up information for free for which they have often charged. That's okay. When viewers need accounting help, whom are they going to go to? The guy with the business or the guy who's been out there really helping them and providing open and honest conversations and content and helping them along the way. Find ways to incorporate some personal stories and details into your posts. Use anecdotes from your own life to illustrate concepts. Let your personality shine so that eventually people who have no need for accounting information are coming to hear you just because it's you. Tweet or post your content via Ping FM or TubeMogul to distribute it to all your chosen platforms. Next, go to search.twitter and start searching things like taxes, 401k, accounts payable, and anything else that might be relevant to your blog topic. Start following these people. Keep in mind that Twitter does not allow you to follow more than 10% of the people who are following you. Better yet, don't follow them. At reply them publicly and start a conversation. Extend your hand. Say, hey, I think I can help you with that, with no hidden agenda. Next, go to blogsearch.google.com. Or go to Google, and above you'll see a little tab that says more, and then choose blogs from the pull-down menu. Start typing in terms like taxes, or filing, or any other term that is relevant in your world. For every blog where you find mentions of these terms, you're going to leave a good comment. You're not going to just be there to spam or hope they're coming back to your blog. 
read these blogs carefully and add two cents. Your name will link back to your blog, but what's really gonna get them there is the fact that you left something relevant and added to the conversation. You weren't there just to get them to come back to your blog. Then, search the word accountant on Facebook. Click on a tab for all results, and then click the pages tab. There are hundreds of fan pages, some with nine members, some with thousands. Join as many active ones as possible, but make sure to keep track of all of them. When you're done, hit the tab for groups and do the same thing. Although I don't recommend creating your own group, there's no reason you shouldn't get your name on as many pre-existing ones as possible. Finally, rinse and repeat. Over and over. Day after day, hour after hour. Everything we just talked about. If this sounds tedious or repetitive, just turn off this audiobook right now. Go and enjoy the rest of your life. Have fun. Play Nintendo because you are not cut out to what I'm talking about. If you're willing to hustle though, you'll find that you don't get tired of the hunt because every conversation leads to another opportunity and you're enjoying it because you love it. What's boring about that? Here's your answer. Nothing. A few additional steps. Don't forget to include a list of all your social networks like Twitter, Facebook, and anything else you're active on in your email signature in your business cards or letterhead. Email signature is a big one, guys. Next, make sure you have a big fat button on your site that says, want to do business with me? Or something along that lines. A quick call to action is huge. We're thinking of this brand building as a marathon, not a sprint, right? So right now, that button will just be there as a reminder of where you're ultimately going with your brand. It's unlikely you'll get a lot of biz dev offers right off the bat, but you never know. More likely, as you build your community, you will see the following progression. First, enthusiastic fans. Next, free product offers from businesses that notice your growing fan base. Finally, biz dev deals from individuals smart enough to see they need to do business with you while you're still affordable. One of my favorite mantras is, anything is better than zero. Guys, please write this down in your head and live with it forever. Anything is better than zero when you're starting a business. But true to my contradictory nature, let me just say that the longer you hold out to monetize your blog, the better. Everyone's financial situation is different and you may feel compelled to take some of the first offers you get from advertisers, for example. Try to wait. Not just because the stronger and bigger your audience, the more cash you can demand when the time is right, but because as soon as you start focusing on monetizing, by necessity, you will start paying less attention to your content and community. When you're ready, though, the opportunities to monetize your personal brand will blow your frickin' mind. Chapter 11, Start Monetizing. Up until now, we've been focusing on building your brand by creating killer content and getting that content some traction by building your community. One email, one comment, one tweet, one status update at a time. Once you feel you've grown to a point where your brand is sticky and your audience has made your content a regular, even necessary part of their community and their online experience, you can start to actively create revenue streams. Unlike in the beginning, when you throw out a big net into a pond, hoping to capture as many members of social media fish as you can, you're now going to drop your line into a variety of small ponds. Be patient. In the meantime, if you continue to hustle, you grow your presence and improve your skills to the point where fish, really big fish, will be jumping straight into your hands. Some revenue ponds to consider are the following. 
advertising. A lot has been made of the fact that magazines and newspapers are being crippled because companies are pulling their ads to save money during this recession or softening we're going through. Well, of course they are. The cost of radio, magazine, newspaper advertising, that space is not in line with the returns in today's world. But companies need to sell if they're going to stay alive, which means that even if their budgets are somewhat smaller than they used to be, they have to spend money to remind consumers they exist. If they want to sell products, they have to advertise. The difference now is they're not going to be wasting their money by throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. There are hundreds of billions of dollars in ad revenue out there, and they need a place to go. And they're winding up online because that's the best return on the investment the advertisers can find. Remember, where people and consumers go, money follows. And people are spending more and more time in the blogosphere. If there's an active, energetic, passionate community spending time on your blog, there's no reason on earth why advertisers wouldn't want to spend a portion or all of their ad revenue there. For example, you're Sally Gardner from upstate New York. You've decided to monetize your passion, which is vegetable gardens. You've left comments and started conversations with thousands. And you've now created and gained enormous traction through the vegetable garden community online because you've been crushing it the way we've been talking about it. You're good. You're really good. People who couldn't tell the difference between a sprig of parsley or cilantro have come to your site to watch the episode where you use a water pistol to defend your last tomato from a hungry squirrel, only to lose the tomato to his partner in crime lurking behind the shadows. Your first instinct when thinking of the ways to bring dollars to your site might be to sign up for something like Google AdSense, which allows you to post Google advertisements related to your topic on your site. I'm not a big fan of these sites because it distracts from your content and makes your page look cheap and cluttered. It also doesn't pay very well. I'm disappointed that so many good bloggers have become dependent on it. There are far more creative ways to create revenue. Here's a better idea. How about classy banner ads, a la the Deck Network, which is decknetwork.net. Check those guys out. Which appear at the top or the bottom of your site. Don't overdo it. Go to google.com. Search your subject matter and check every blog and website to see which companies pay for Google AdSense ads to be posted. Cold call every relevant company that is buying space on Google AdSense. They're already spending money on the web. Why not spend it with you? For more information on this, you can definitely go to GaryVaynerchuk.com and search cold call. Speaking engagements. Next, start taking steps to get you on the lecture circuit. Have you any idea how many gardening conferences and flower shows go on every week in this country? Come up with an original theme or topic, call the show's coordinators, and offer to give a talk for free. What does that get you? The same social equity as if you went out and put fantastic content online. It gives you a chance to A, talk about what you love, B, build cred, street cred that is, and C, do it in front of an interested audience one of whom might be the coordinator of another conference or gardening show and who, after seeing you talk, might be compelled to pay you to speak at their venue. As for the conference where you just offered up your services for free, it may take five or six times, but if you're good at what you do, your audience will start expecting you to appear at these events and the conferences will be eventually compelled to pay you. It might be a while, but you're patient, right? Affiliate programs. You could also consider doing an affiliate program. 
This is where you put a link on your site that sells other gardening products, for example. Or if someone clicks through and buys it, you get compensation or commission. This can make some sweet cash. Think about it. A 20% commission on a $3,000 prefab garden house is $600. And what do you have to do to earn it? Not a whole lot. A good resource for affiliate marketing programs is Commission Junction or Share a Sale. Amazon, too, has an extremely popular affiliate program, and there are many others. Just Google search affiliate programs to find them. One of my favorite websites is loaded with affiliates but manages to do so in a classy way. Please check out uncrate.com, U-N-C-R-A-T-E.com. One way I'd love to see more people create revenue is to create their own affiliate deal with another local business. Sally Gardner can go to a local nursery and hook up a deal where she gets 10% for every click-through and sale that they make on their website. For those of you who worry about this, and it seems like selling out to the mercenary, you shouldn't put up anything on your blog that you don't believe in. Therefore, you're not going to do any affiliates with any company's products that you wouldn't buy yourself. In fact, one way to diffuse any criticism for allowing ads or affiliate links on your blog is to include an explanation on your site to why you're supporting any of these particular companies. If you're honest about why you believe in the product and why you've decided to allow selling opportunities on your blog, most people won't be pissed off. Besides, society is getting used to product placement in movies and television, and I expect they'll be seeing a lot more of that in social media. Retail. Develop a product to sell, such as a great gardening glove or decorative objects, soaps, mosquito repellent, whatever you love and think you can do better than anyone else for that matter. Even more fun, sell swag. Create a t-shirt for five bucks and sell it for 10. If you've got 10,000 readers or viewers and maybe a thousand buy it, that's five G's. And it's not too bad. Plus, now you've got people wearing or using and displaying your brand. And that's something a blog needs. Getting free marketing and word of mouth is always a good thing. Articles. Hit up online and print magazines and other blogs about contributing articles. If they aren't interested in paying you, offer to reciprocate by mentioning them on your blog. Approach food and nutrition nonprofits about writing for their newsletters. Talk to your local farmer's market about contributing to their publication or blog if they don't already have one. Seminars. Invite people to come out and garden with you and give them a chance to ask questions. Your first lessons will go for a relatively low rate. But as word gets around that you're good and that people are seeing results in their gardens after working with you, your rates will go up. Make it an event. Broaden your appeal. Team up with a local chef who's also building a personal brand. Once the gardening portion of the day is done, everyone joins in and cooks a terrific vegetarian lunch. Invite someone from the local food bank to give a talk about how and where people can donate food that they grow in their gardens. Coordinate trips for local schools to come spend their morning with you. Books and TV. It's almost a cliche to remind you that good blogging can lead to book deals. From tackling every recipe in the first volume of Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking to a satirical list of stuff white people like, or a collection of photographs of crazy, gross food, this is why you're fat, blogs have long been a hot commodity in the publishing world and have proven their potential as bestsellers. Video blogs, too, have led to TV opportunities. Amanda Congdon, who started out as a video blogger for Rocket Boom, has appeared on many TV shows, and for a while she had a deal with 
both ABC and HBO. Those, unfortunately, have not worked out, though. Perez Hilton, celebrity blogger, has his own reality show and is always appearing on TV. And Andy Samberg, once a cult internet hit comedy sketch writer, is now a star of Saturday Night Live. Consulting. As your audience grows and your blog starts to get real attention in the form of media coverage, ad revenue, and requests for speaking at functions, expect to start getting requests for tips and advice from other bloggers. At first, you'll want to offer your time for free, but if you're sitting on a heavy knowledge base, you should eventually start to charge for your time. If you come across as a legit and honest person, people will respond favorably, especially since you now have, quote-unquote, lived it, or quote-unquote, made it, or quote-unquote, crushed it. How would this process look if your passion were board games? Pretty cool, actually. One, start a video blog called Board Game TV. Two, send out an email to everyone in your address book in your email and see if you could borrow every board game they have in their attic. Three, review every game. Examine the package, the origins, things you like, things you don't like, the history. Four, post it with an eBay affiliate link to the game you're reviewing. You'll get a commission for every time somebody buys it from that link. Five, do that for several months, making little money. Six, launch Collector Friday, where you talk about a valuable or rare game you don't even own. Maybe one that's up for sale. Interview the person that's selling it. Board games can go for two, three, four, five hundred dollars on eBay. Seven, knock the hell out of your content for a few months, and it's going to be entirely possible that somebody from the Today Show is going to ask you to come and talk about board games on their program. Eight, suddenly you get a call from Parker Brothers asking if you'll talk at the convention as a spokesperson. It can happen. Heck, it will happen. Advertising Redux. Anyone who is able to build a gardening show with 10,000 viewers is perfectly justified in reaching out to the big boys. All you have to do is buy a stack of gardening magazines and flip through the pages to see all the different people who are advertising. And then, just Twitter or Facebook. Hey, at BMW. Why are you spending 50 grand on a full-page ad in Home and Garden and getting little on your ROI when you could be placing something awesome on mine and my blog? Create some hoopla. There's one thing you can do, but it takes a very particular kind of DNA to pull it off. Launch your site, put it out for a few days' worth of killer content, pick up the phone and call a big corporate advertising agency and tell them what you've just done. Explain to them how your expertise and passion are going to make you a huge hit. Tell them you're giving them an incredible chance to buy out your show for the next year while you're still unknown. In a year, you'll be able to sell the space for three grand an episode. But since you need the money now, you're looking for someone to invest and grow with you. Show support today and you'll repay them with an undying loyalty through the course of your career. Sound outrageous? I'm telling you, this is a play. Ten people listening to this audiobook will pull this off. And when you do, please email me at gary at vaynermedia.com so I can share the story. Guys, as you can see, there's lots of ways to make money on the internet. Lots of ways to monetize. Albeit, drips and drabs by siphoning off money from already existing platforms and sources. Some ponds I've mentioned are shallower than others. And some might not give you the kind of return that you dreamed about. Maybe 50 bucks or 300 bucks here and there. But how much is your blog earning you right now? Zero. And you're going to turn away 50 bucks? 
say it with me again, anything is better than zero. That doesn't mean you should do anything to earn a buck, but neither should you walk away from the dollars if you don't have any. Too many people think they're big shots when they're doing nothing in the scheme of things. Please, don't drink your own Kool-Aid. It will negatively impact your business decisions. Even if your ambitions are huge, start slow, start small, build gradually, build smart. The money will be there, and more important, so will the opportunities. Chapter 12, roll with it. You know I like contradiction, so it shouldn't surprise you that one of the most important concepts I want you to keep in mind is dramatically opposed to some of the ideas I've shared with you up till now. I've repeated over and over that in order to build a winning business, you have to go whole hog with your passion. True. I've said that if you don't plan ahead and decide exactly what you want and where you want to see your business end up, you're broken. Still true. But what is also true is that as committed and obsessed to the goal as an entrepreneur needs to be, they also have to be willing to practice what I call reactionary business, which at the heart is about being willing and able to adapt to change. This is where most companies and business people lose the game, by refusing to admit their mistakes or neglecting to look ahead to see what could negatively impact their business. Nothing in life ever goes exactly the way you think it will, and that goes for all the carefully planned entrepreneurial dreams and goals. Reactionary business allows you to make a couple of crucial moves when the landscape changes. Please be ready to adapt. You'd be surprised at how many entrepreneurs aren't good at adjusting to the changing environment. And it's a major reason why so many businesses don't achieve their full potential. I see it all the time. Someone with ambition and talent decides she's going to be the Martha Stewart of kid-friendly sandwiches, and then all of a sudden discovers that somewhere along the line, she reached a core group of beer-drinking dudes who religiously watch her show. Instead of embracing that demo and adapting, she refuses to acknowledge it and keeps making fish-shaped cheese. Maybe she does fine with her blog catering to the kitty set, but can you imagine how much bigger this ambitious person's business could have been if she had given up a day of the week to prepare sandwiches for the perfect tailgate? A perfect real-life example of a brand that drew an unnecessary line in the sand in regarding to positioning was the champagne known as Cristal. Starting in the late 90s, the upscale champagne was enthusiastically adopted by the hip-hop community. But instead of embracing and leveraging the attention, the managing director indicated in an interview with The Economist that he'd prefer to distance himself from those people known as rappers and their fans, saying, we can't forbid people from buying it, I'm sure Dom Perignon and Krug would be delighted to have their business. He had the chance to cultivate a golden opportunity to capture major market share, and instead he killed it. Because smart and influential entertainers like Jay-Z and P. Diddy were rightfully offended by the guy's attitude and organized a very effective boycott against the brand. Put out fires. Now, reactionary business has nothing to do with social media. Everyone in business should practice it even if they're decided to completely ignore social networks. A stupid idea, but one that a lot of established brands are following. Actually, less and less since I wrote this book. On the other hand, all of these social networking platforms turbo boost your ability to be reactionary, not only by enabling you to guide your brand to where it naturally fits or where you discover pockets of interest, but by giving you a lot of power to put out fires. For example, I was seen all over ESPN after the NFL draft booing Mark Sanchez's pick by the New York Jets. It looked like I was hating on the pick and the player, 
which wasn't true. I didn't know the details of the trade when I saw the team go from the 17th pick to the 5th pick. I assumed that the Jets had given up the whole world to get Sanchez, and that's what was bothering me. Turns out that wasn't the case. The Jets actually made an amazing trade, but I felt bad that everyone, including Sanchez, got to see that and misunderstood my reaction. Five years ago, I couldn't have fixed this misconception, but thanks to social media, the Monday after the draft, I was able to use my biggest platform, Wine Library TV, to clarify what I thought. A more relevant example can be found in the way Domino's used YouTube to respond to the negative publicity they suffered after two employees shot a video of themselves doing disgusting things with food before serving it to customers. A lot of people pointed to this story as the evidence of the downside to social media because two idiots were able to blast a negative image of a company out to thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers within minutes. But the Domino's brand didn't get hurt. Anyone with a half a brain knows that morons work everywhere and this could happen at any fast food restaurant. No one wants people messing with their food and of course the employees responsible should be punished. But their actions didn't hurt the brand. In fact, I think Domino's helped their brand by showing great reactionary business instincts. I respect how fast they got into the trenches and responded in the same medium as the crime that was committed with a video from YouTube. Good for CEO Patrick Doyle, who in his address appears to be a pretty traditional corporate guy, gamely, trying to fight fire with fire. Next time, Mr. Doyle, try to look in the camera and lose a script. It would make a huge difference. CEOs and business managers clearly don't need to have power meetings anymore with their PR departments to discuss how to handle a problem like this one. They should know what they want to say and then say it. Successfully dealing with a situation like this is all about speed, honesty, and transparency. I saw this as a great opportunity for Domino's to flip this situation on its head. They and every other fast food restaurant should open up their kitchens to live stream and that anyone can watch it, including while waiting in line for their order of pizza. To me, adapting in this way to the reality that cell phones and flip cams are always going to make their way behind the scenes of any restaurant would be an example of reactionary business. Shape your story. Thanks to social network platforms, your story is going to get told, unfiltered, whether you like it or not. You can no longer control the message, that's not a bad thing unless you work for a closed-minded PR company. As far as I'm concerned, the biggest hurdle for most corporate brands today is their dependence on PR people. They're terrified of the unfiltered message, but what they should do is encourage it. Every employee of every company should have a Facebook account where they can talk about their work and the company, in addition to whatever else they want. Let people gripe. Let them air their frustrations. Don't wait for exit interviews to find out what your staff really thinks. Tap into the pulse of the company and start making changes right away. Yes, there are websites dedicated to allowing people to air their dirty laundry, but people should be allowed to hang their dirty laundry on their own clothesline. Empowering your employees to communicate is a great thing. If you suppress their urge to talk, you're only weakening your brand from within by limiting the access to information. Really think of this as communist. When you know what people are saying and thinking about your brand, you can address it. If you see falsehood, you can correct it. If you see praise, you can show your appreciation. If you see confusion, you can inform. Your empowerment doesn't stop with your staff or your customers either. It used to be that you were at the mercy of the media with no say in how they told your story. If you didn't like the picture that was painted, you were kind of stuck. Now you can fight the media itself 
with these new tools. Your blog, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Now you can do a live press conference on Ustream. Whereas 10 years ago, you could try, but it was always a gamble whether anybody would show up with a TV camera or not. Trend spotting. Some entrepreneurs are really into creating the next big thing. Not me, really. I'm about identifying the next big thing and jumping all over it. To me, honing your ability to act on waxing and waning social and cultural trends is a major reactionary business move. Some people are born with good trend spotting intuition. My whole life I've been able to see something and just feel that it's going to be big. I felt it for baseball cards, toy collecting, comic books, wine, for the internet itself, video blogging, and I'm sure I'll see the next trend when it comes around the corner. I look everywhere for inspiration. Recently, I noticed that certain kids are using markers to draw tattoos on themselves and create body graffiti. Occasionally, I've used my 45-minute drive to work and wonder, hmm, what does it mean that kids are drawing their own tattoos on their own bodies? How do I capitalize on this? Where's the opportunity? Then, while I was on the Thunder Cruise, a cruise with all my fans back in April, we docked in the Bahamas and I noticed a huge line of kids at a tattoo station at Atlantis. If I were in the ink business, I'd want to create an organic, non-toxic, kid-friendly, skin-friendly brand of ink and capture that market for the kids who wanted to design their own tattoos. The tremendous line at the booth told me that parents are clearly ready for this. I'm not the right guy to invent the product that will fill the market, but if you do it, let me know. Being reactionary means that you're always thinking about the meaning behind a cultural change. Let's say you're at a party and a friend tells you she's canceling cable. You hear that and your radar should go off. Canceling cable? No one would have canceled cable five years ago. What's going on? If you haven't figured it out already, I'll tell you why this is important. It means that the day is almost here where there will be no difference between watching TV or watching online video. Cable on demand, Netflix, TiVo, YouTube, Hulu, have each pushed the envelope a little further by extending the life of movies and shows and by making network programming schedules irrelevant. But the next phase will be even more dramatic. Eventually Comcast or Time Warner is going to have to announce a new channel that airs online videos. You'll be able to use your remote to search by subject. Now the kid who draws tattoos on his arm will be able to type in body graffiti and find 45 different shows about body art on the internet. He's not only going to consume this content, he's going to create his own TV watching experience, not just swallowing what TV stations have decided to feed him. When this happens, if you happen to be hosting a graffiti video blog that first was reaching just 5,000 people, you're suddenly going to have the potential to reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions. For someone who's practicing reactionary business, someone who's looking ahead and adapting to markets and taking advantage of new opportunities to communicate, that puts a lot of media dollars into play. Thanks to social networking, we now have access to powerful, real-time, streamlined data that can allow us to steer our ships very accurately in response to trends and turn challenges into huge opportunities. But reactionary business isn't limited to business development through social media platforms. Whatever the next business phenomenon turns out to be, your reactionary business skills will be crucial in capitalizing. it. Chapter 13. Lucky number 13. My sister was born on 13th, so I've always loved 13. And this is a good one. Legacy is greater than currency. You know, a lot of the other chapters were important, but for life, this is the big one. So please pay attention.
It used to be that only people in the public eye had to worry about controlling their message. They used teams of stylists and publicists to shape their image. And even the media acted more as a guardian than a snitch. No one knew about our president's affairs or actors' drug habits or a tycoon's backroom deals. Those days are long gone. Let me just jump out of here real quick. Mickey Mantle was out of his mind. I mean, could you imagine the Mick in this day and age? Nobody would be protecting him. He would have probably been out of baseball in a couple of years. We are now all in the public eye, swimming around in a clear glass fishbowl of our own making. With every email and video and blog post, tweet and status update, we add to the real-time documentary of our own lives. For the person who thinks of himself or herself as a brand, and remember, everyone needs to start thinking of themselves as a personal brand, the ability to spread your great ideas and share your triumphs is a golden opportunity. The downside to this, of course, is that if you mess up or things go wrong, there's no longer anywhere to hide. The public can be forgiving when it wants to be, but rather than test its generosity, I urge you to start training yourself to think through the consequences of every business decision you make before you actually make it. Perhaps that sounded like obvious advice, but I know for a fact that many people have a hard time thinking long-term. Successful entrepreneurs are like good chess players. They can imagine the various possibilities ahead and how each one will trigger the next move. Too many people, however, can't think past their first move. Worse, some don't care to like a small number of CEOs who know they'll be gone in two or three years and just want the stock price to go up no matter what the long-term impact on the company is. They're all about what's good for their business today. That kind of thinking is at the root of a lot of really crap judgment calls, the kind that will sink a personal brand. Achieving 100% happiness is the whole point of living your passion, of course. But to my mind, that happiness is unachievable if you don't recognize that with every decision you make, you're building more than just business. You're building your legacy. For all of us made of ambitious, competitive, hungry DNA, the urge to take our personal brands as far as it will go is second nature. But let me assure you that if you're coming exclusively from a monetizing angle, you're going to lose. How you build your business is so much more important than how much money you will make doing it. Yes, I want to buy the New York Jets. Yes, I intend to crush it. But as I build my brand and make money and work to achieve my goals, I'm always hyper aware that everything I'm doing is being recorded for eternity. It does bother me a little that all the cursing I do in my keynotes is going to become part of my story. Yet, I have to embrace that's part of my DNA and it's the way I express myself when I give keynotes on stage. I don't know if I'm influenced that much by Richard Pryor, but I think I am. I grew up loving Pryor and listening to all his tapes, and I truly believe that when I hit the stage, I get a little Pryor-esque, and that's what's really going on. I want to be proud of what I do. I want my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to be proud of me. This is why every decision I make is weighed in terms of currency versus legacy. Will this business deal make me money? Yes, good. Will I be proud of how I made that money? Yes. Okay, then let's do it. If the answer was no, I never go there. Legacy always trumps currency. My obsession with legacy should explain to you why I insist on trying to answer every email, tweet, ping, poke, or comment. Back in the early days, I used to reply within a couple of hours. Now the volume of my correspondence has gotten so overwhelming that it may take a few months for me to get back to people. But I guarantee you, I will always try to. 
If I realize I'm falling behind because I have a brutal schedule or I'm busy, I'll shoot off a short video explaining what's going on and try to respond to everybody as soon as possible. Now, a lot of you are thinking that I'm out of my mind for keeping up with this. In the beginning, many people thought it was cute, but now I think many people think it's insane. After all, I'm on the social network radar. I may be only a triple Z-list celebrity, but it would be fair to say I've done all right by myself and I've secured an interested, loyal audience through my particular brand of perseverance and hard work. Surely, some well-meaning friends have suggested people would understand if I had to delegate my correspondence or even started to pick out and choose which people to personally reply to. That's not how it works, not in my world anyway. No matter how big I get, every email, every customer, every friend, every single person with whom you come in contact with deserves the respect and attention. Not because you never know who's going to be a good contact or resource later on, although, by the way, that is a huge reason, but because if someone takes the time to reach out to you, it's your obligation to reciprocate. That said, the truth is my email volume is getting to a point where I fear that I may have to adjust in a totally dramatically different way, but rest assured, I will find a way to remain accessible to my friends and fans for as long as I breathe. Legacy is a mortar of successful, lasting brands. I've known this since my days in retail. There was one year where I found out that a customer in Westchester hadn't received her case of white Zinfandel. It was December 22nd, and there was no way FedEx was going to be able to deliver it to her in time for Christmas. My order department had received the complaint, but because the customer was neither a regular customer nor a particularly large one, they hadn't brought it directly to my attention. By the time I got wind of the problem, there was only one thing left to do. I threw a case of Behringer Whites in in my car and drove three hours in the snow to the woman's house. Did I mention she lived in another state? Did I mention that this was by far the busiest time of year? Clearly, my time was more valuable to spend in the store during those six hours it took me to execute this. And believe me, there was no serious angle behind what I was doing. The customer was an older lady who lived far away and wasn't going to be a hotbed for big business. But I wanted to prove a point to my customers, and more importantly, to my employees. I was creating culture. Guys, if anything this audiobook delivers to you, it's about culture and DNA. It's never about the individual moment. I lost money on that six hours. Lots of it, probably. But I made a point, a point that would allow me to make money over the next several years, because the core people in my company had realized how seriously I take customer service, and we are all going to be in the customer service business as word of mouth continues to scale and create a small town feel in our society. Conclusion. The time is now. The message is forever. Today's entrepreneurs are building on top of the foundation that has changed our society forever. Something that goes much deeper than Twitter, Tumblr, or YouTube. The greatest paradox surrounding the internet is that as much as it allows us to isolate and limit ourselves only to what we believe is immediately relevant to our specific needs, so does it allow us to connect at an unprecedented level and extend ourselves beyond the farthest horizons. People still underestimate the reach of this thing. The internet is only 14 years old. It's so young, it hasn't had sex yet. Yet, it's already crushing all the biggest communication platforms known to mankind. This thing is not done yet. The internet is as powerful as oxygen, but we have not yet seen its full capabilities. Not by a long shot. It is going to morph and change and reveal all kinds of surprises. You've got to be prepared to evolve and adapt along with it. Riffing off the script, mobile, 
Mobile, mobile, mobile. Foursquare. Gowala. Pay attention to these things. Whatever you do, do not listen to this audiobook and take everything I said word for word. I've offered a blueprint, a step-by-step process of taking advantage of what the internet has to offer you now, which has worked extremely well for me. But in six months, the environment will change again. For example, Google Wave, everybody. Google Wave is coming. You better ride that wave. If you see something, a platform, a trend, a social pattern that makes your radar go off, you should absolutely follow it. Don't ever be afraid to put your feet in the water, whether I've said a word about it or not. Always listen to your DNA. It will always lead you in the right direction. If there's a message I want you to take away from this audiobook is that true success, financial, personal, and professional, lies above all in loving your family, working ridiculously hard, and living your passion. And in telling your story, it's authenticity, hustle, and patience. Care fiercely about the big and small stuff and value legacy over currency. Social media is an important part of it right now, but it may not always be. The theme of this book, however, will matter no matter what the next business platform will be. Appendix A, did you forget anything? I thought it would be helpful to have a checklist at the end of this audiobook to help you identify what you need to do in building your personal brand. One, identify your passion. Two, make sure you can think of at least 50 awesome blog topics to ensure stickiness. Three, answer the following questions. Am I sure my passion is what I think it is? Can I talk about it better than anyone else, or at least the top 10? Four, name your personal brand. You don't have to refer to it anywhere in your content, but you should have a clear idea of what it is. For example, the no BS real estate agent, the connoisseur of cookware, the cool guide to young adult books boys will love to read. Five, buy your username, .com, .tv, if possible, at godaddy.com or anywhere else. Six, choose your medium, video, audio, written word. Seven, start a WordPress or Tumblr blog or a six-apart product, or blogger.com, all are solid. Eight, hire a designer. Nine, include a Facebook connect link, call to action buttons, share functions, and a button that invites people to do business with you in a prominent place on your blog. 10, create a Facebook fan page. 11, sign up for Ping FM or TubeMogul and select all the platforms to which you want to distribute your content. Choosing Twitter and Facebook is imperative, The others will be selected according to your needs and preferences. 12. Post your content. 13. Start creating community by leaving comments on other people's blogs, forums, and replying to comments on your own blog. 14. Use Twitter search, search search.twitter.com, to find as many people as possible talking about your topic and communicate with them. 15. Use blogsearch.google.com to find more blogs that are relevant to your subject matter. 16. Join as many active Facebook fan pages and groups relating to your topic. 17. Repeat steps 12 through 16 over and over and over and over and over and over again. 18. Do it again. 19. And again. 20. When you feel your personal brand has gained sufficient attention and stickiness, start reaching out to advertisers and begin monetizing. 21. Enjoy the ride. 
Seriously, going off script, please enjoy the ride. The process is greater than the results. The process is greater than the things you buy. You don't need 60 inch TV screens. You don't need a boat. You don't need a private jet. What you need to do is be in a place where you wake up and you're happy. You're not living for Friday night because you don't have to work the weekends. You're not fighting to save money for vacations because that's the happiest you are. Appendix B, five business ideas I won't get to and I'm giving them to you. I believe that live streaming is the future. So most of the new businesses I envision build on that platform. Here are a few that I will unfortunately not be able to get around to, even though I want to and I think have tremendous potential. See what you can do with them. Number one, the big one, the QVC of the internet. It blows my mind that this has not been done yet on a serious level. Ustream.tv and Justin.tv, Livestreaming.com are free platforms that replicate live television. They provide the perfect opportunity for a great salesperson to start an efficient online QVC type show. Find a terrific host or host it yourself. Mix things up by inviting guests, inventors, entrepreneurs, and authors, and talk about whatever you find interesting or useful or exciting. You don't even need vendor relationships to start this up. Affiliate links at first can be worth selling. Eventually, vendors will be begging for airtime. In addition, you wouldn't need a call center to handle customer service and sales. While you and your host talk about the product, a box would just appear at the bottom. Allow them to shop online. Needless to say, you would have an archive and break products into categories so that shoppers could easily find past episodes and shop to their heart's content. A T-blog. What I did for wine with Wine Library TV is wide open for somebody to do with tea. Tea is going to explode in this country. As we move away from coffee to something healthier, and as we get more Asian and you know influx, and we're getting all these different vibes from different parts of the world, Tea is huge. I am positive that tea will explode. It's a lot like wine. It's going to take time. But the person that builds a tea blog and becomes the tea personality will have enormous monetizing opportunities. The sports center of the web. Where is the sports center for the internet? I mean, ESPN's a little stale. Two, three, four, five, ten guys, a couple gals, whoever, whoever's got the passion for sports, getting together and streaming like ESPN News does all day long is a huge opportunity. All we're doing is social commentating. There's enormous amounts of radio shows around the country that are making tons of money talking sports all day long. You could do that with video as well. You don't need the highlights. And it is a huge, huge market. I am stunned that somebody doesn't own this yet. Online book reviews. This one has my panties in a bunch. Are you an independent bookstore crying about Amazon? You know, just crying about how we can't compete on price? The biggest thing you have is your knowledge. You're not putting out content and you're not working hard enough. If you're an indie bookstore, you can absolutely dominate and never worry about BNN and Amazon again by becoming a voice, a content provider, just like Wine Library is. That's what I did. I'm not worried about Walmart or Costco. Nobody can beat us because we have real relationships with customers. You can do that as well. Create content, not just a stale monthly newsletter that you've been doing for the last 40 years. You should be reviewing books daily, audio, written, or video daily, and so should your staff. Huge opportunity. Next, let's call it PepsiLandHousePlace.com. What I mean by this is that 
brands need to create one-off websites where they can have more flexibility, don't have to live under the corporate website, and can do amazing call-to-actions, giveaways, games, and fun fun for their consumers. One-off destination websites are very attractive. Guys, I can't even believe it's over. I'm pumped. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I want to do something special. So anybody who's listened to this, please go to facebook.com slash Gary, G-A-R-Y, and leave your thoughts. Give me a little rating. Give me a little thought. Every person, please, I've pumped this out for you. Give me one little favor. Just leave it because I want to come back and friend you and leave a comment there. I want to do all the interaction in Facebook. Just want to keep it to one place, do something different. I hope you took away something from this. The world is changing. The opportunities are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I truly believe that this is one of the great opportunities of all time for brands, personal brands, and our society. We are living through game-changing times. No editor at the New York Times, no producer in Hollywood can tell you if you're good enough. People will build businesses. The money is trickling down. The long tail is longer than you've been promised. But you've got to be patient. You've got to be able to afford it. You guys know me. I'm practical. I don't want you quitting jobs. I just want you to tighten up your world. It's like sit-ups. Tighten it up. Pump out content about what you love. Put yourself in play. And you can absolutely achieve something amazing.